Hi, it's Ruth Connell. I played Rowena on Supernatural, and you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that survived COVID, which is now over, of course, as we all know. I'm your host, Craig, and I am coming to you in the month of April to discuss news and trailers and stuff that dropped in April. So joining me for this is fellow COVID survivor, and my main guest for this episode is Kat. Hello. Hello. Freshly recovered from a pretty mild but also kind of nasty case of COVID, so survived that here to live another day, here to chat all things April news. Very excited. My COVID case was pretty grim, actually. I struggled mm. with it massively. I think we were sick about the same time, too. Yeah, you were just after me. I didn't give it to you because we're hundreds Very of miles away. right now, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but COVID travels across Zoom calls and stuff, doesn't it? As we all know. <laughs> I heard that on YouTube. Why would that lie to me? Oh, yeah, no, that place is all full of facts. Yeah. Completely full of facts. Yes. But we both survived and we're here to talk another day. The last monthly news podcast was recorded while I was full of COVID, so it was in my voice and I was pausing to cough and stuff. It was quite a listen if you listened to it. But if you didn't, then well, you didn't hear me struggling through because the show <laughs> must go on. It doesn't doesn't stop. Oh, no. News don't stop for anybody. <laughs> news don't stop for anyone. No, there's just more content than we know what to do with. <laughs> but before we get into the content, let's just do a bit of an overview of what we've been watching and so on. So what have you been watching in film and on TV and hmm. out the window, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> out the window. <laughs> well, I just saw Sonic 2 yesterday. Oh, yes. Uh, at the time of recording. That was fun, but also there's bits of it that are just exhausting, which is consistent with, <laughs> I think, a lot of reviews that I've heard over the last few weeks. So I'm like, yeah, okay, it tracks. But what I've been enjoying recently, I watched all of Severance on Apple TV+, Plus. I think the service is called. That's been really, really good. Science fiction kind of workplace dystopia. Which is a lot like real workplace dystopia, as I've heard. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Very good show. And I just started Russian Doll season two as well. I only just watched season one literally last month. <laughs> so it just kind of was fortuitous timing. It was like, oh, okay, and season two drops in a few weeks. Neat. And that's been pretty good so far. But I'm about kind of halfway through, so I don't, I don't know how it ends. I don't know if it ends well, but it's been pretty all right. Cool. I saw Sonic 2 as well. I saw it when it came out and I really enjoyed it. I get what you mean by it being exhausting, but I had a great time. But I'm a big fan of the original video games, so it mm. was doing a lot of things to entice me in. I gave it three stars because I think that's fair. Although my I enjoyment was yeah. above three stars, mm. if that makes sense. I think it's the same appraisal we gave to this Pacific Rim sequel. So yeah, it's a mm -hmm. comfortable three stars, but we enjoyed it probably a bit more than that. But sometimes you just have to bring that little bit of objectivity in. Yeah, you got to see the film for what it is. Yeah, yeah. And you got to also recognize your enjoyment of it may not necessarily reflect the quality of, say, the writing or the filmmaking and stuff. It's more than the sum of its parts. So that's fair enough. Yeah. It's one of those things that on the bus home, I was oh, that's great. And then I was like, oh, no, wait a minute. 
was maybe mm-hmm. a bit too long. The human characters were underused, etc. All those little yeah rise against bullet points start <laughs> creeping into my brain, and then I was like, okay, not, I've knocked a star off, and I'm not even home yet. That's yeah, yeah. A great start. I liked its approach to fan service, though, and. When I saw the trailer, I was worried that it was going to do a TMNT sequel, as in, let's throw in all the things that people like about this and hope they stick and hope that's enough for people. Whereas in Sonic 2, they actually made it meaningful and part of the plot for the most part, rather than just chucking it in to have it there. Mm-hmm. So that's something I really appreciated. So Tails was there, he was a meaningful presence. Knuckles was a meaningful presence. The biplane fit in and so on. So I appreciated that and the voice of Sonic, great. Idris Elba as... Knuckles, great fun. <laughs> Surprisingly great, Idris Elba. It took me a minute to warm up to him, I will say. At, at first I was like, oh, I don't know about this. But as his character showed a little more personality and was kind of established as a honorable buffoon, I was like, actually, I'm kind of here for Idris Elba in this role. I think it actually suits him. Once you understand that he's Drax, that's when it clicks. Yes. Or at least for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben Schwartz is phenomenal (laughs) and just very appropriate for this character i loved him in the first one anyway i just really love how he can come across as youthful naive and innocent but still kind of have that sonic edge in his voice just brilliantly done and i also love the parks and rec reference of course (laughs) it's the worst it's great Love it. And he's clearly loving the job that he has being Sonic as well. This was oh, yeah. more to do with when the first one came out, but there was some promotional stuff he was doing where he would go into, I think it was IGN's offices, and they would organise a speedrunner to come in, and he'd just sit with the speedrunner as they ran through Sonic 2, as it was at that time. And he's just sitting there, just distracting the speedrunner with endless questions and endless commentary. It's really funny. <laughs> I'll put that in the show notes because it's really good. I'm annoyed oh, they yeah. didn't do it for this film. Imagine him and Idris Elba sitting in a room with a speedrunner just like, guys, I'm trying to like just glitch this yeah. out here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've enjoyed his interviews as well. He did one with Polygon for the first film that he then repeated for the second film with the same interviewer and stuff. Loads of great jokes, and you can tell that he just really loves being a part of this. And that's kind of half the fun, honestly, with films like this. It's great to just see the cast have as much fun as you're having as the audience watching it it's the best when the cast are also nerds really like that (laughs) so anything else been on your viewing radar or has that been about it a few things i also watched all of uh, the dropout which is on disney plus over here in the uk but i think it's a hulu show in the u.s which is about elizabeth holmes because quick confession i love kind of expose stories that are about terrible terrible people and or terrible situations <laughs> scammers liars i call it scammertainment which has a really big resurgence at the moment there's just a lot of people who were caught doing bad things and defrauding people and scamming people and all of that sort and documentaries being made or podcasts so the dropout follows the story of elizabeth holmes who i didn't really know anything about until after she got caught but she was huge in the u.s everybody knew who she was she was purporting herself to be the next Steve Jobs inventor of a medical device that could, with a drop of blood, give you a bunch of results. Only problem is, that's not how science works, or indeed how blood works, or indeed how just biology, man. But she was 19 and she dropped out of Stanford, used her tuition money to start a company that she had no idea how to run, and also she led everything 
through Faith First. And so The Dropout is based on a podcast that Wondery Plus, I think, did originally. And they must have got interviews with key people in the story, because a lot of the stuff I was familiar with through the documentary about Theranos, the company. Amanda Seyfried plays her, and she's pretty good in terms of the portrayal and stuff. They don't look very much alike, but that's okay. I don't really think that you need to look exactly like the person you're portraying, so that didn't bother me at all. I think she did a phenomenal job. The show humanizes Elizabeth Holmes a little bit. There's a sympathy or an empathic element to how we view her side of the story, but it also doesn't trim the truth, which is that you done goofed. And you were playing with people's lives and medical stuff is not something to mess around with. And you can't just be like, I'm going to invent this thing. You got to make sure it works first. So yeah, highly recommend. It's very interesting. I was watching it week by week. It's very bingeable, I think. If you're into scammertainment or interested in scammertainment, there's a few new things like this. There's the Bad Vegan documentary series on Netflix from the Firefest people. So you know it's good. <laughs> which is about a vegan restaurateur in... In New York who got bamboozled, not just scammed, just next level scammed by this guy. No spoilers because it's a heck of a ride, but I'll say it involves demons and vegan chefs and God, how do I not spoil this, but also tell you how good it is? <laughs> Black Ops and spies and vegan demons. Let's just go with that. It's weird. Very weird show. Just four episodes, but highly recommend. So that's my brief sojourn into scammertainment for you all. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen the first episode of The Dropout, but I haven't had the time to go any further. I quite like the, as you say, shows about telling the story of terrible people mm-hmm. and how they got to the point they are shows or films. But I tend to like the first half of those stories better because I enjoy watching the process of how they got there. Ah, right. Instead of the denouement, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So was the second half, but if he was. So things like Wolf of Wall Street, when he became the best at selling penny stocks and all that, I was full in for that part of the film. Just later on when, oh yeah, he really is a scumbag and we've seen him do debauchery quite a few times now. I'm ready for this story to move on a bit. Or The Founder, the Michael Keaton film. It was interesting to see how he franchised McDonald's and then after that, I guess I just get angry when they get away with it. That's what really (laughs) upsets me. Those are the two most prominent examples I can think of. So I am interested to see what she did to scam people. And I will go back to it. It's just I only had time to watch one. I only watched it the weekend, actually. And it was more of just I need an hour to myself to just consume something that I mm-hmm. don't have to write about. So yeah. I'm going to do this because <laughs> it's right there on Disney+. Plus. So there we go. So yeah, I'm going to finish that off at some point. Maybe by next month, I'll talk about how much I loved it. In terms of viewing films, Sonic 2, I've already talked about. Morbius, I saw. And oh, thought man. was <laughs> oh goody, <laughs> pretty bad. It's been cut to the bone and it's been destroyed. And I'm not going to say there was a good film in there because I don't think there is. Maybe there was a mediocre film in there. Uh, I'm not even sure about that. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but I was reading an interview with someone who had met the director before for uh, an interview for another film of his. And so she reached out and was like, hey, man, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know you're a good director, what happened, you know? And he was just kind of like, eh, you know. <laughs> it's the usual story, isn't it? I signed on to do this thing. There were too many notes. They took it away and just savaged it later on in the edit when I had no more control. It's the usual story. Yeah, I just think that there's a desperation in the Sony Marvel things that is 
A, really obvious, and B, really off-putting. Because you can see how they're like, oh man, we really gotta capitalize. Marvel's doing all this stuff and they're so good at it, we gotta do what they do. Except they <laughs> don't put out a good product. And so people, in turn, they speak their minds. And indeed, with their wallets, nobody's watching Morbius because nobody wants to. You can blame whatever, but at the end of the day, if you don't make a good movie nobody's gonna care and that's the reality of it the venom films are fun but they're not good yeah exactly there's merit in you can make a movie that's so bad it's fun type thing yeah morbius ain't that <laughs> no it's just so bad it's bad that's pretty much it i'm gonna wait and hate watch it on streaming when that's a thing at some point good plan I'm not about to go to the cinema to watch this. I'm okay, thank you. <laughs> Save your money. I at least got it for free. It was the first thing I went to do after I was clear of COVID, and I wish I'd got another positive oh, yeah. test so I could have avoided it. The post-credit scenes are something to behold. I'm not going to say what they are, but they're online. You can find out exactly what they are about, but they're hilarious. It's quite baffling and it's pretty clear that they have no idea what they're doing which is hilarious that they've announced all this other stuff that they're doing in the sony spider-man list universe and it's all going to be rubbish and i do wonder what dark secrets they know about these really good people that they keep casting in these things <laughs> dakota johnson and madam webb what do they know about her what's she done that they are holding over her head what is the secret has she done something horrible did she kill a guy she must have in order to wind up in this but yeah it's not very good don't see it I saw Operation Mincemeat, which I thought was quite a good little World War II story. Another mm. World War II story. It's quite a long war with lots of stuff going on. It was, it was good fun. I quite enjoyed it. I saw The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, the Nicolas Cage plays Nicolas Cage movie. Oh, is that good? I liked it. However, I think the novelty wears off about halfway through. It mm. starts off as a really fun Hollywood and Nicolas Cage satire, and it transitions into this buddy romance, almost, between him and Pedro Pascal's character. And then it kind of goes off the rails in the second half and the jokes get repetitive and it keeps doing what it's doing well but it just keeps doing it and it's sort of lost me a little bit so yes it's good but i'm probably in a minority where i'm not heavily gushing like other people are as usual the last film i saw was the lost city which i thought was a really good example of what it is really brad pitt's not in it very much but he's very fun channing tatum's always good when he's playing the almost against type where he's playing a kind of lovable loser which he does in this I haven't seen Magic Mike, but I got kind of Magic Mike vibes from him. He's this model that wants to be taken seriously and isn't ever taken seriously and all that stuff. And yeah. Oh, meow. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right, I think, for Magic Mike anyway. It was good fun. I mean, it's not the best thing in the world, but it was good fun. I enjoyed it. On TV, it's much the same stuff I'm usually watching. Picard, which I will talk about with Andrew a bit later on. I am not enjoying. I think it's a really frustrating show and I can't wait till it ends. I never thought I'd say that about anything with Jean-Luc Picard in it, but I'm ready to say goodbye to this character because what they've brought him back to do is, is not good. So, sick of that. The Flash, again, I'll talk to Andrew about that later on. I'm glad it might be ending next season because I'm sick of it and I'm watching out of some weird compulsion because I've been watching it for eight years. So, I have to see it to the bitter end. In better TV news, been watching Moon Knight, which I'm really enjoying. We are four episodes in at the time of recording. It'll be the fifth episode by the time this is out. So join it. Oscar Isaac is great in the dual role that he's playing. The setup is interesting. I think the other characters are good. So yeah, I'm enjoying that. Yeah, me too, actually. I wouldn't say it's Marvel's best thing ever. And I don't think it's, well, this is way different to everything else in the MCU because that's hyperbolic and it isn't. 
Yeah, I'm going to reserve judgment because so far it's got some pacing issues, which I'm waiting to see if it'll iron itself out by the end. But it is pretty fun. It is different enough. I will say I'm enjoying how the directors seem to have creative leeway to do some pretty interesting things filming wise. So it looks really nice. Yeah, building sets and so on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the music stuff. It's fun. It's funky. I'm interested to see how and if it will fit into MCU things because it so far is kind of sitting outside the main or at least unconnected or unrelated to what we consider the MCU connected tissue. We'll see how that pans out but yeah so far I do agree. I mean Oscar Isaac's kind of great in anything he does. Yes. Ethan Hawke's great. Everybody so far like, doing very well. My concern has been the portrayal of mental illness with relation to supernatural type things. Dissociative identity disorder has been used previously. Like an edgy, oh, wouldn't this be fun? And then the other personality has superpowers. Real people have this and it's trauma-based and we don't really understand it very well yet, even though we've known about it for a very long time. And so it's just using it in a dramatic way, but not really, not necessarily respectfully, because I don't think that it's done without respect, but the very nature of using it to give us a window into the supernatural is a bit of a disservice to people who actually have DID. So I don't know, I'm still a little bit not gonna spoil, but it plays a part in the show. And so I'm just like, hmm, I don't know about this just yet, but I'm reserving judgment until it ends and I'll have thoughts then, I think. Yeah, stuff like Split and so on have delivered riffs on this kind of idea before. The idea of different people living within one person and whatever. I won't say too much about it, but I think the Moon Knight approach has been a strange one in some ways, but there'll be a podcast on it in the near future once it's finished. Aaron is going to take over hosting duties for that one. He's already agreed. So that'll be fun. Just to let another voice in my head take over. It'll be a thematic. So that's all I've been watching on TV other than the things I mentioned. So let's move on to some quick plugs. Do you have anything to plug? What have you been up to? Projects can people check out? Projects and things. I recently narrated a short story by a fellow Greek author, which was really, really fun. And I really love doing it. It's a fantasy kind of folk horror tale, and it's in Choreo Magazine. So that's spelled K-H-O-R-E-O. And the story is called tomatoes and it's about a witch family in greece that gets their power from tomato plants and it's kind of scary as you do yeah a little sad very greek i had such a blast uh, recording that so yeah that's my plug cool it will be in the show notes my plugs i've done a couple of interviews that might be worth checking out i interviewed a actor writer producer he has many hats Jonas Chernick, he is in a film that was at Glasgow Film Festival called Ashgrove. So we just talked about, as I do in most of my interviews, his life and career and what have you. So that was good fun. And through him, I got to speak to Sean Doyle, who was in your favourite show of all time, The Expanse, mm-hmm. and Star Trek Discovery, and many, many other things. The guy has had a, quite a storied career. Looking through his IMDb page, it was quite difficult to distill down to what can I ask him about? Because this guy's done a lot of stuff. All the things, yeah. Yeah, but he was great to talk to. Maybe that's worth a listen. I don't mm-hmm. know. He's a really cool guy, and it was great for him to speak to me. I am very glad of ear that you got to talk to him, and that's an expanse <laughs> joke that you won't get, but that's okay. 
<laughs> but I did pretend that I've seen The Expanse in order to do the reviews. So, Sean, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I, had to, I have to pretend that... Well, I didn't actually say that I'd seen The Expanse. I just asked them about the character in a way that might make him think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, enough of us on the site have, and we have sung the praises of the show. You're at least vaguely familiar with some stuff, so it's okay. Shout out to Andrew who supplied the line of questioning that I was able to pass off (laughs) as my own. The last plug is for Strange New Worlds, the upcoming Star Trek show. Because I don't give myself enough work, I will be taking over, at least partially, on the We Made This Show, We Are Starfleet, to talk about some of the episodes. We're going to have a rotating band of captains, and I am one of them. So it means I have to do one in three, roughly, all going well so that'll be fun looking forward to talking about strange new worlds in that capacity there'll be a podcast here as well so don't worry about it we'll end up talking about it everywhere but that's big plug plus plug for the we made this podcast network because some really great people over there doing really great stuff with things they're passionate about so go over there and listen to them as well not instead of as well as this podcast because there's room for many podcasts even though there's only so much time in the day but they don't go anywhere so you can just save them and listen to them so fill your podcasting boots anyway let's move on to this month's trailers we have a collection of them and somehow despite the fact that we've had maybe three of them we have another trailer for Lightyear the Toy Story spin-off that is supposed to be the movie that Andy might have watched in the universe that Toy Story takes place in I feel like this trailer maybe showed me a bit too much I was happy enough with the teasers I'm kind of annoyed at myself for putting it on the list and watching it because I always hate feeling like I've seen too much before going into stuff. Yeah. What I will say, though, is Chris Evans' voice performance is majestic. He sounds great. I can't wait to see how he fills out this role even more. The sidekick cat appeals. The comedy sidekick cat, so I'm all <laughs> for that. The relativistic speeds giving young viewers a bit of crash course in physics around the if you travel faster than the speed of light or at the speed of light you will age slower than the people around you that kind of stuff i'm all for that as well so i think this looks great but i wish i hadn't seen this trailer that's my summary i think i agree with that i will agree with the comment about chris evans's performance it seems like it's gonna be a great film he's perfect i really like seeing pixar trailers just for the oh wow the light and the textures and all of that like it's the stuff that pixar is the best at and yeah this is going to be a gorgeous movie and i will also agree that yeah i do feel like we saw too much i'm okay thank you half that trailer would have been great now i kind of feel like i know all of it because of the teasers i had the sense that buzz lightyear might have been real but this trailer told me he isn't because there's stuff in there that isn't real in Toy Story. Does that make sense? Yes. It's a very complicated setup. Yeah, so without spoiling the trailer question mark, I was just like, oh, okay. And that kind of took a little bit of the wonder out of it for me. I think I would have preferred to find that out in the film. I really didn't need to see the subplots and setting up all these things. Just let me watch the movie, man. But I will watch the movie, so... It's doing its job. I'm here for it. And a Pixar movie in the cinema as well. That's a novelty these days. (laughs) Although it has to be connected to a franchise, apparently, for them to release it, which is a shame because most of the Pixar, in fact, all of the Pixar stuff that's been out over and beyond the pandemic has been stuff I wanted to see. Has been amazing. Yeah, Turning Red was great. Yes. Soul was great. I mean, Soul was out when nothing was open, so give that a pass. But stuff like Luca, never mind. So that's that. Let's stick with animation for the next couple. Why not? Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank, where Samuel L. Jackson plays a samurai cat, which has <laughs> me sold. Again, there's a cat theme of, I like cats, apparently, in films. <laughs> 
It seems to be Kung Fu Panda, but with cats. Kind of. It seems a little more edgy than Kung Fu Panda. It's got a little bite to it, which is interesting. But I will say, I don't know that this movie knows what a samurai is. They're vaguely doing some martial art that's mostly karate-esque. But that's not what a samurai is. If it's, oh, I want to be a karate champion, or I want to know how to beat people up, that's a different thing than being a samurai. And I don't think I've seen a samurai in that entire trailer. (laughs) It's got a very Hollywood view of martial arts. It's using the wrong words and it bothers me. But that's the pedant in me, the pedant weeb who knows what a samurai is. (laughs) And so I'm like, I'm sorry, but this is nonsense. See, I don't, so I'm not that bothered. (laughs) But seeing... The cast list alone is enough to make you want to see this film. Outside of Samuel L. Jackson, you've got Michelle Yeoh, you've got, gosh, it's it's left my brain already. George Takei. George Takei, Rick Gervais, God, the Mel Brooks cat who looks exactly like Mel Brooks. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't put Ricky Gervais on a list that makes me excited about anything. Well, he's a good voice actor, though. I think he can do a pretty good job as a deranged samurai wannabe cat. <laughs> Care for that level. Michael Sarah as the dog in training who wants to be the samurai. Like, it's perfect. But I don't think you know what a samurai is. And <laughs> sitting there and watching a 90-minute or however long movie and just being annoyed that that's not what that is, my guy. <laughs> I just feel like I'm just going to be rolling my eyes at it a lot. But it does look like it's going to be fun. That's very much the classic Aaron comment about bringing your darkness with you when you go and see the film. It's this thing that you can't get past that you bring with you. But valid. I don't really know much about the ways of the samurai, so it doesn't necessarily bother me. But yeah, Michelle Yeoh, she is everywhere. You can't turn on the TV practically without her appearing as a credit. She's having a moment. I'm pretty glad she's having a moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not before time. George Takei is doing his catchphrase joke, which concerns me a bit. In fact, I feel like most of the funny bits are in this trailer, which concerns me. So you watch the film and you're like, yep, there's that joke I've already seen. Cool. And then you cycle through them until you get to the end. Looks like it could be a bit like that, but who knows? Will I see it? It's in the cinema, so there's a good chance. The Sea Beast is up next, which is a film I probably won't see because it's on Netflix and most Netflix stuff I don't end up watching. Oh, is there a reason? It's mostly because it's there and I know it's there and then I just never make time for it. But also... (laughs) Most of the time when I do watch a Netflix thing, it is mediocre at best because I don't think they're in the business of making largely great content. I think they're in the business of making disposable stuff people can half watch while on their phones, which might be a bit ungenerous to the general public, but I stand by what I said. (laughs) I don't know if this will be any good. I think it looks pretty good. The animation looks really good and the front load references to Big Hero 6 and Moana, as in people who worked on those films worked on this. So that's encouraging, I suppose. I get a bit of Moby Dick but for kids type vibe mm. from the, the general setup, although it looks a bit less vengeancy, I suppose. I get a How to Train Your Dragon but with sailors. Yeah, that too. Not Vikings. How to Train Your Dragon but with sea creatures. It's got a similar vibe to the design of the sea beasts. They look like those kind of big horned dragons in How to Train Your Dragon. And even the trailer music, which I don't know if will bear any resemblance to the final soundtrack for the film, but it kind of sounds like... How to Train Your Dragon. I will agree with you that a lot of the animation stuff in particular from Netflix has been a bit, eh, 
okay, but I would disagree that it's mediocre content that's for people who were half-watching. I've enjoyed quite a lot of Netflix original stuff. They can make good content. They do. I wonder if this will be that. It looks like it could potentially be a slightly above average kids film, which is fine. We need those. Families need stuff to watch, so here for more animation stuff any day of the week. This may be that their good stuff gets buried under the glut of mediocre stuff that they release. I don't know. Tick Tick Boom was one that was amazing, but then I watched Don't Look Up and I was thinking, wow, this might be okay if an hour of it was gone because it's such a painful watch. And then a lot of other Netflix stuff that I've watched... I've just thought, yeah, this feels like they've filmed an earlier draft of a script that needed a few more passes in a lot of cases. So when stuff comes out, I tend to just not watch it. The Adam mm. Project was another one that I watched recently. And again, it was, if I saw this in the cinema, I'd probably forget it almost immediately. And mm. I did forget it almost immediately after seeing it as well. But again, it's you could have given it a few more passes and really turned it into something, but it just mm. seems like you gave up at some point during and just, yeah, we'll film this. This will do. Yeah. And, so that's my impression of Netflix stuff. That's why I don't prioritise it over some other stuff, but it's, it's just time as well. That's a big factor. If I had infinite time, I'd probably watch everything, but I don't. So <laughs> that's the way it is. Okay, next trailer. We will move on to Stranger Things Season 4. I'll just start by saying I've got nothing because I watched the first season and that's it. So I don't uh-huh. know anything about anything that's going on. I don't know who the characters are anymore. I don't remember the first season that well. I remember liking it enough, but I don't remember too much about it, so... You'll have to shoulder this one. You said you watch it, so I stayed on the list. Okay, yeah. I do really like Stranger Things. I do think that every season has something different to give. This one just looks spectacular. I read somewhere that every episode costs them $30 million, which is obscene. That's an obscene amount of money. That'll add to the debt. (laughs) Especially considering that they are losing subscribers right now. It's a bit painful to read about that kind of (laughs) amount of money. It's not my money. I don't care. (laughs) Yes. Weirdly, it's a multi-million, multi-billion probably company. So it's not like they're the underdog. But they were the first streamer to make original things. And they've made some original things that are great and list among my favorites and I don't want to see them go bust when they kind of pioneered the streaming original content movement if you will, especially their science fiction series I really liked Sense8, Stranger Things 2 is right up there so this feels like it's going to be a fitting ending and I'm glad that they're calling it the end because honestly I don't know how much more we could keep this going (laughs) First of all, because the kids are growing up. Second of all, because they have to take this long between series to film what is essentially many movies (laughs) (laughs) for one season of TV. It's hard to keep it relevant and in the forefront of the minds of everybody when now we have a lot of original streaming content to watch. And this will just be one of the shows that's vying for everybody's attention. So because it was a phenomenon and because it kind of led the charge of Netflix original content when it first began, it's fitting to give it the proper send-off that it deserves. Big CG battles, basically, but also just the heart of the show, which is the relationship between all the characters. I'm seeing little flickers, little glimpses of where some of that stuff is going. Steve 
Eve, who is my favorite still, in it very briefly, but I'm hoping for great things for him. I just want him to be happy, him and his glorious <laughs> hair. And Hopper and just everybody. All the kids seem to be gearing towards something epic, so I'm looking forward to it. I think it's done a great job of taking some stuff from the 80s that the creators really loved and turning it into a very cool original story with obvious callbacks to classic 80s horror and 80s fantasy and sci-fi, but giving it a little something that's modern that kind of marries those decades. It's a very interesting and cool creative vision. So proper send-off. Let's do it. Here for it. And practically unheard of on Netflix, isn't it, to give a show an actual ending? Actually finish something? My goodness. (laughs) Rather than, we know you people like this, but we've just cancelled it for no reason. But we'll just cancel it, yeah. Maybe because it was one of those first big projects that they greenlit. And also they signed a very large contract with the Duffer (laughs) Brothers. So it's like, right, let's see this all the way to the end. Yeah. Because we got more things to make. I think that's probably the reasoning. Yeah, fair play. Ah, there we go. There's the familiar sound of the TARDIS. Isaac is right on time to discuss Doctor Who, so you can go and have a cup of tea or whatever you want to do while Isaac talks about Doctor Who. Ah, Isaac, as always, the TARDIS arrives exactly when it needs to. How's it going? Thank you for joining just when I thought about Doctor Who. Well, that's handy, yeah. Everything's going okay. Hopefully everything's going okay with you, team. Yeah, fine. So you're still struggling to find a beach. Is that the problem? I'll never quite get there, but we'll keep trying. You'll never find a beach. It'll take a while. Okay, so as you're here, let's talk a little bit about Doctor Who. We had a teaser for the Centenary special, the big regeneration episode and so on with some stuff. But before we do that, let's just talk briefly about the Easter special as it was. What did you think of it? It was fine. It felt more like, say, if it was like a standard Doctor Who series and it's one of the 45-minute episodes, it'd be not the highlight, but... It's a one-time watch style one. I was reading a thing recently where Chris Chimdall was saying it was a miracle that any Doctor Who got made in the last two years just because of how difficult everything's been. And I think this is one that shows it the most. It's a bit rushed. You have very limited what you can do with the actors. Like You have three actors who aren't in costume, like monsters, one set. Obviously, I've had Doctor Who episodes before, like Midnight or Listen, where we've had very small casts and locations have been very good. This one didn't quite land very well. Personally, I'm quite a fan of the... Sea Devils, so I think the costume was incredible. They looked really good, they looked very brilliant. But yeah, as an episode itself, it was a one-time watch. It was fine. Gas and Doctor stuff was all very good. It's sort of the main reason I was tuning in. But for an episode itself, it was a little messy. Yeah, I agree with you that it does feel a bit like just a standard episode, an underwhelming early of a season episode. Something along the lines of, say, Robot of Sherwood or something like that. It's just, yeah, it's not very good. It's a real, in Chris Chimble style, if you've seen like Arachnids of the UK or the Saranga Conundrum, the sort of early Series 11 style ones, it was one of them. Yeah, I didn't bother reviewing it because I don't really have much to say about it. Although I did appear on the TARDIS crew, a podcast over and We Made This for our Moonlight and New Podcasts. I was on their episode talking about it, so you can hear more extensive thoughts from me there. But I don't think there's an awful lot to say about it. Apparently it was cut down from its original intention because of it some insensitive content that might offend the Chinese. Yes, I've heard of that, but I don't know what context of stuff was cut. It does feel like it was probably the stuff set in the 200 years prior stuff. That felt the choppiest. Yeah, it was very choppy. 
So that's probably around that sort of bit. Yeah, probably. Not much to say about that. Really, it was an episode. It was a bit bizarre. Actually, it reminded me of the last Easter special that we had, Planet of the Dead, in the way that this is a bit of fun before the intensity kicks in. But I think Planet of the Dead was more forgivable for being just a romp because you still had two more episodes coming up. All right, it was the same story, but you had two full episodes coming up. So they could get away with just spending a bit of time just having an adventure. But in terms of the Doctor's last fun adventure, that could have been Eve of the Daleks because that was not quite disposable, but almost disposable fun. Sorry, there's three episodes left after Planet of the Dead. There was Waters of Mars as well. A two-party at the end of time kind of being one. Yeah, yeah. Even the Daleks was much more a fun. It still had its character moments, but it wasn't involved in an arc. That's one you could just watch out of order with anything, and it still makes sense. Yeah, I do kind of feel like this one could have been a flux episode before they were told to chop it down. It could have just been one of the flux episodes where they just turn up and deal with the sea devils for one of them. And they're affected by the flux. Maybe that's part of what was cut as well. Yeah, because I know Chris Chibnall has tried twice in the past to get sea devils, like in his. Stephen Moffat, Silorian story, Cold Blood. That was originally he'd written Sea Devils in before they were cut for. It didn't really make sense and time and money and stuff. And then the same with Dinosaurs on a Spaceship was also supposed to feature them. And again, that didn't make sense and it was cut. So I think this is that's why an excuse. This is like his last go. It was like, I just want to get these in somehow. <laughs> I mean, that was his main idea. We originally had a commission of eight episodes. We got a ninth one. Obviously, we can't do one after the generation. So we shuffled that along. And he's like, I want to do Sea Devils, let's chuck them in. I think probably with like a week and a half to write around it, like, we'll figure it out. Yeah, I was told as well that the Sea Devils are cousins of the Silurians. Is that right? The episode doesn't tell me. It doesn't tell me anything about the Sea Devils, really. It just gives me kind of high-level information. But what I was thinking throughout the episode was the Silurians want to reclaim the Earth because they think it's theirs, and the Sea Devils want to as well. Is there a point where they would come into conflict with each other because they have the same goal and they're both trying to get rid of humanity, but also being the dominant species on the planet? That seems like there's conflicting goals there. Yeah, they're the aquatic equivalent. They have usually worked together. They're usually a, a coalition, Salarian. Their empire is land and deserts and jungles and stuff, whereas the sea devils are in control of the sea. They're usually a team, or they have been in the classic series. They team up, and then this is seeing them sort of separate, but it's the same goal. In this one, it is a bit odd because they want to flood everything, so they're probably stabbing their salary and mates in the back, but they're usually working towards the same goal. Cool. Okay, so that's a bit of a brief rundown on Legend of the Sea Devils, so let us just move on to the teaser that appeared at the end of the episode it's a teaser for the centenary special it's what a minute long if that it's not long at all it gives you a couple of things shows you the master both clean shaven and very hairy and it shows you the start of the regeneration or at least what we assume to be the regeneration although it might not be don't know and it shows you that two old companions that i don't know are coming back tegan and Ace. Yes. So my thoughts on it, none of it really surprised me. The Daleks, Cybermen and the Master coming back for this centenary special, I assumed that that was happening anyway. We've already been told slightly obliquely that the Master is going to be in it anyway, so that wasn't a surprise to me. The Daleks and the Cybermen, any excuse to throw them in, so again, not a surprise. The two companions weren't really a surprise as such because I have no connection to them, so I'm not able to react to it with, oh my god, it's them. That's something that I should be excited about. So what are your thoughts on the teaser and specifically the two companions? And can you tell me who they are? Because I don't know. And the listeners. Yes. So we'll start with the two companions. So we have Tegan. She was the fifth Doctor's companion. She was in 
almost the entire of his run. She missed out on two stories. She ran from 1981 to 1984. She was the Fifth Doctor's companion. And then Ace was the Seventh Doctor's main companion. The Fifth Doctor was who? Oh, sorry, that's Peter Davison. Peter Davison, okay. Yes, and then Sylvester McCoy's Seventh Doctor travelled with Ace from 87 to 89. If you were to sort of pick, like, say, like, for example, the Tenth Doctor, Rose, or Thirteenth Doctor, Yaz, if you were to pick one of their companions to be the one you connect with that Doctor, with Peter Davison, it would be Tegan and Sylvester McCoy and Ace. They're not the main one, but the one you associate that Doctor with the most. I think it's an interesting thing to note. They're also both companions left in bad terms. I don't know if that's going to be relevant in the episode, but that's my prediction. I don't know if we're getting a Dr. Yaz. They're currently a little on unsteady ground, and I feel like these have been picked specifically because both these former companions left not favourably. Although one of them non-canonically. Yes. I think you told me the ace parting was in a book or something like that. Yes, it was in a book she wrote, which came out around season 11. And it's not in the TV world, but the big Finnish people have picked it up, and the BBC have done a trailer for the Seventh Doctor's I think they released it on Blu-ray and then used that story in the book. She now works for a charity called A Charitable Earth and in the trailer for the Seventh Doctor Blu-ray, it's the A Charitable Earth building where Ace is working and she sort of mentions dodgy past and stuff. But that doesn't really count in the TV world. Yes, this is based on if Chris Chimnall goes with what the actor wants that character to do, I think it'd be quite nice. But yes, so ignoring that speculation, yeah, the two 80s companions... They're showing up. In terms of the rest of the trailer, so we have Yes, the Daleks, as you mentioned, pretty standard. We do get Ashad leading the Cybermen again, or at least it looks like him, the cyber leader who got killed by the Master. Well, not quite killed. He was just shrunk, wasn't he? He was, yeah, miniaturized. Again, it is the Cybermen. It could be a partially converted one, but I think it's more likely to be the Ashad Cyberman from Series Probably. 12. We get the mask, as you said. I think it's because he's clean-shaven. Sasha Dewan, his hair's different, he's clean-shaven. He looks like that's a younger one, in comparison to the one we see later where he's got the full beard and long hair. Again, my prediction. We've met the master in his sort of mid. That's when he's been around a bit. I think the one we're meeting, fresh-faced, is a newer version of this one. And then maybe we're getting around to one who's been around a bit longer. I think they're going to jump around this master's timeline is my guess. Or it could be disguises. But I'm going to go with, I think, with the return of former dead Cyberman. I think this might be more jumping around in time a little bit uh, as to why we get two different ones. Like in The Curse of Fatal Death, where he gets thrown in the sewer and it takes hundreds of years. <laughs> he might get knocked into a sewer a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, we see what could potentially be some regeneration, though I'm going to make a third bit of speculation. The effect is more similar to when Joe Martin when her doctor opened the lighthouse fob watch, I think it may be the fob watch that was dropped at the end of Flux. Yeah. Because I think it'd be weird if it was the regeneration. It's not clear as to how it's happening. She just called out Yaz in this desperate voice as Fitch is helpless. I didn't look at it extensively. Was it in the TARDIS that clip took place? Because I know the regeneration isn't in the TARDIS. It looks like it's in some sort of glass thing, a glass tube or something. It's a flash. It's on for a bit of a second. Yeah. It's not really clear where it is. I can't remember with the trailer for Series 10 where they did the Peter Capaldi fake-out, where they just have him in a story regenerate a bit as a show, and then they put that in the trailer as, oh, this is how he dies, because we know it's coming. They can play around with building up the hype by maybe showing us a little bit of regeneration, but more likely showing us it could be a fob watch, it could be a bit of regeneration, it could just be a new weapon. <laughs> that causes the Doctor to burn or something. We don't know yet. My concern about this teaser is that the episode is going to be really busy. The Tegan and Ace stuff, I've got a funny feeling that they're not really going to spend any time introducing them and making them relevant because 
Chibnall's bad at juggling time and he's bad at pacing. Things like during Flux where Kate Stewart's kicking about, we have no idea what she's up to. Years are passing, we have no idea what really goes on during those years. The characters aren't changed, that kind of stuff. I'm concerned that Tegan and Ace won't be anything and it won't give me enough to invest in them. And... We've still got the fob watch thing to deal with, which will probably come up. It'll probably be part of it. We've got the regeneration. We've got the threat that she's dealing with. We've got all this. It's probably going to be about 70 minutes. They said it's going to be feature length. It may not necessarily be 90 minutes. It's usually about 70, isn't it? It could be around 70, 75, yeah. I think we can also safely assume this isn't it either. There was some stuff about one of the ones I mentioned last month's News one is that Bradley Walsh has been seen kicking around in the filming area. We'll probably get some Joe Martin doctor stuff as well. It is a real concern. This is a lot for one. Yeah. <laughs> Even a long episode. They only mentioned we see Kate Stewart again. We see Vinder from Flux again. He shows up. Say as we were saying before with Legend of Sea Devils, where we had like two characters other than the TARDIS team. This is like 11 in the trailer. <laughs> and that's not including anyone else. So I think it's going to be a lot of cameos. And yeah. yeah, people like me who are like, hey, I watch these on VHS. Or <laughs> older people are like, oh, I remember this when I was a kid. It's for them. Whereas I'm assuming lots of new audience members or kids will be confused. Okay, there's an oldish lady and another oldish lady. But it will draw a line under the Chibnall era. So this isn't part one of something because it'll be Russell T. Davies writing the 60th, which would be the next time we see Doctor Who, we assume. So everything is going to be wrapped up in one way or another. The fob watch isn't going to be left as an unanswered question for Russell T Davies to pick up because that's what happens when showrunners hand over the keys, isn't it? It's, I've dealt with all my stuff. You've not got any baggage. This is the last one. So any loose ends he has to tie up, he will have to do so in this. Yeah. Do you think the casting will be announced ahead of time or do you think they'll try and surprise us on the day? I would really like if they just didn't tell us. Yeah, me too. But... I realistically think they will probably announce it, probably in the summer. I think so. my best case idea would be that if it was a feature length or 75, 80 minutes, something, and they were like, oh, we're going to do a cinema one. And it's like, oh yeah, you have to just watch it and find out. Even in the 60s, 70s and 80s, they announced ahead of time like, in the press, like, oh, this will be taken over, this person. So this would be the first time it's, oh no, you have to watch it to find out, which I think would be amazing. However, in terms of the internet, agencies, filming, everything else, I don't think it's possible. I think the news would break before then. It would leak or whatever, yeah. They'll probably announce it in the summer, or I don't know what the next... There's usually like a big event. I don't know if there's a community in that World Cup or anything to share or a Wimbledon. There'll be something in the summer where it's like, oh yeah, there's a football final or something that's got a big enough audience. I think they'll do it like the Jodie Whittaker one. Nothing too fancy, just a sort of pre-film little announcement. Probably in July or something like that. It's not quite the same thing, but they had the John Hurt reveal, didn't they? That wasn't known until the episode aired. That was still a thingy, but I think that was kind of like a special case one. He had been sort of announced as being in the episode. They announced all going ahead, David Tennant and Matt Smith, and they're like, guess we'll include John Hurt and whoever and whoever. So you're not sure, oh, it could be anyone. Whereas if they're filming for Rusty Davis series and someone's just sort of wandering around in a crazy bow tie and an old fashioned coat or whatever, <laughs> pretty sure we know who this person is. So I think as this is a case where this is not a sort of guest doc mentioning Joe Martin, Joe Martin and John Hurt were surprise doctors. We weren't expecting extra doctors to appear, but in this case, we are actively aware that a 14th doctor's coming. So I think it'd be way more difficult to surprise us. Yeah, sure. So we'll find out, I suppose. Find out pretty soon one way or the other so anything else on this 62 second teaser or whatever it is no small things fans of ace will enjoy that she is beating up a dalek with a baseball bat which is a reference to she did a one dalek story where there was two scenes one of them where she was getting chased by a dalek it was filmed in a school and it was in a science lab 
and one of them where she was supposed to come in with a baseball bat and just smash the Dalek. Okay. And on the one where she was filming with the baseball bat, the Dalek was supposed to be empty prop so she could go crazy on it. But they'd rigged up the chase one, so a guy was in the costume ready to go, but the actress... Oh yeah, I should say, Tegan is Janet Fielding and Ace is Sophie Aldred, just if you need the names for the characters. So they told Sophie, here's your baseball bat, just go in. When we say roll, start smashing the Dalek. And the poor guy in the costume was just like waiting to go. <laughs> and just got wailed on with a baseball bat oh, <laughs> in no. like his costume. He didn't want to pop the head or anything because he had like a bit of cover, but he was trying to like wave the little guns and the arms that come around. <laughs> like, no, no, it's on his side. So I quite enjoyed it. It's a fun bit of trivia. Yeah. She's back with a baseball bat and I think her clip is she's just like full on smashing up a new Dalek. It's not quite Jack's Dalek smashing gun though, is it? No, it's not a Dalek smashing gun, but it's just a fun thing. What else do we get? Yes, with a gun. They keep doing that in Doctor Who trailers, don't they? They keep showing characters Everyone with has guns. A gun, yeah. yeah, I'm more excited to see Yaz and the Doctor's story conclude. I think it's a good sign that I'm very invested in those two and how they've evolved over Series 13 and the specials, even the Daleks specifically. That you can throw all companions and master Daleks and whatever. And I'm most excited. But what's going to happen with them? <laughs> that's the bit I'm most excited for. The show is in dire need of a shake-up, that's for sure. I think it's got to the point where we really need to retool this completely. I saw this written somewhere that it's a great example of the microcosm of British society at the moment, as in we have this state-run thing and we've handed it over to a private entity to fix it because the government-run entity or the publicly-owned entity isn't able to do it. Okay, now it's Bad Wolf, yeah. I think Doctor Who's, in terms of a show that you can reboot, it's probably the easiest one to do so because it's kind of built in. Oh yeah, every five years or so, everything changes. (laughs) It's not so much like, say, if you were trying to course-correct a Star Wars or Star Trek or a Marvel. I know Chris Chibnall's run hasn't been particularly popular. I've got a soft spot for it. A lot of people are excited for Rusty Davis to come in. And I think this is a show that it's kind of built around this character changes their entire being. That happens periodically every three or four years and bringing in a whole new look and feel and style. In terms of making it, it's one of the easier shows to freshen up as opposed to the more canon-focused Especially science fiction, kind of focused Star Wars, Star Trek, for example. Yeah. They can get really stuck. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a bit of a shake-up. I'm looking forward to something new because the Shipnall era has been very mixed for me, let's put it that way. I've, I found it a bit frustrating in places. So eager for something new. New doesn't always mean better, but at least there's the chance for it to, to be better. So. so any final things on the teaser or have you spent everything that you can think of? No, going back over it, I think all looks pretty good. All looks pretty exciting. I would... Love to be able to see this in the cinema. I'm holding out hope that they do a cinema thing. They might do. They did it for the 50th. Yeah, they've done it before. For some reason, they also did it for Deep Breath, the Peter Cavalli episode that was now did. <laughs> yeah, they never did it again after that. Although the 50th novelty was that it was in 3D, and that's why it was in the cinema. Yeah, that was the novelty. I'm sure not from Weird Doctor Who. In the 60s, a non-BBC production company made some Doctor Who movies that I think are getting released in the cinema. Peter Cushing ones, yeah. Yeah, the Peter Cushing ones. If you fancy the cinema with a weird human called Doctor Who, (laughs) then that's something for you. But I missed both the 50th and the other options. But I would quite like to see Doctor in the cinema, so I'm hoping out for that. Either way... Team Trip, or some of Team Trip. I'm looking forward to this. Um, I've enjoyed the Chris Chibnall one. It's been not amazing, but I think Doctor Who's that one show where I've watched... Some of the 70s and 80s ones are just really awful. <laughs> it's just lumbering rubbish. So I can sit through them. I can sit through anything really. But I am very excited for 2023 and beyond as well. Cool. Okay. If that is everything, then you can just hop back in your TARDIS. Yeah. I'll materialise back whenever 
you need me for, I don't know, Doctor Strange or something. <laughs> a different doctor. Different doctors, perhaps. Good luck finding that beach. I'll be somewhere. Enjoy the rest of your news update. Hi, Kat. <laughs> Thank you, Isaac. That was a decent rundown of Doctor Who. We talked lots of Doctor Who, so there we go. Let us move on through our list. We have basically some AMC plugs, as in they've given us a few seconds of upcoming shows. The one that stood out to me the most was Interview with the Vampire, which shows a guy with blood on his face who is presumably a vampire and stuff. So it's a film that you liked a few decades ago, and now we're doing it but as a TV show. So... Basically, all I've got to say, I'll be interested in it. Though I did like the film and I liked the book as well. Read the book years and years ago. So might give this a watch whenever it appears. Don't know when it is. Didn't look that far because I'm bad at my job. Mm. AMC stuff. There's some Walking Dead stuff that I don't care about. Never going to watch anything to do with The Walking Dead ever again. There's a few shows in that first look video that kind of have me intrigued. I was reading recently about Moon, Moon something? Moon Base? Moon. <laughs> the space thing that's in this preview, that's in the show notes. <laughs> yes, the one that's set on the moon with Dominic Monaghan in it. I'm always here for some Mary <laughs> from the Lord of the Rings. So that seems really interesting. I didn't even know that they were making an interview with a vampire show. So there's that. I guess they're making an interview with a vampire show. I don't know how you can top the film. I think it's pretty iconic. TV has a tendency to just kind of gloss over some things and not be filmed as well. Although... We are currently in a golden TV era, so perhaps I'll probably give it a shot, but I'm not holding my breath. What I kind of am holding my breath for, which was on that video, but it's not necessarily relevant to this podcast because it's not sci-fi in any way, but it's Better Call Saul, which is the last season of the Breaking Bad spinoff. I'm at the edge of my seat and very gripped (laughs) and can't wait. That one drops on Netflix, I think, on a weekly basis on a Tuesday. I'm very excited for that one. I think it's going to be, again, a fitting send-off because it's meant to be the last one as well. I didn't know that AMC has so much uh, interesting content, but it's one of those channels that doesn't exist here, so we get their stuff here and there. I wonder where we'll get Interview with a Vampire, actually, because I've not really seen it advertised anywhere. No, it could be one of those things that just turns up somewhere in like a year. It probably. Or a year after it releases, whenever it's supposed to release. Mm. Cool. Yeah, so that's some AMC stuff. There's some stuff there that you might want to check out. If you like Walking Dead, there's a couple of spin-offs. I don't like Walking Dead, so I will never go near anything to do with that Same. ever again. <laughs> it broke me. After three seasons, I said, no more. I'm not watching any more of this. And something I'll say to Andrew at some point, I said, but if I ever watch Walking Dead again... I will just watch season one and then call it a day because that's when it was really good. Okay, moving on. Speaking of films that you might have enjoyed a while ago and they've turned it into a TV series, The Time Traveler's Wife, also based on a book. I love the book. I was underwhelmed by the movie because it didn't really have the time to tell the story properly, despite the fact that it had a really good cast and Mm -hmm. had a great concept to adapt. It was missing something. It was very rushed and... It didn't dig into the meat of the story. So we've got a TV show, which has a good chance to have the time to do it. I think it looks good. I like the cast in it as well. It's on HBO, so there will be plenty of adult situations, shall we say. 
And I'll watch this because of my love of the source material. Because I read the book and I was blown away by it when I read it. I just love the way it's structured, the way it's written, the way the characters come across. It was a while ago I read it now. I've only read it once. But it stuck with me. So, yeah, I like the look of this. I've never read the book, so I don't have really a frame of reference. I've never seen the film either, which I guess is a rarity because everyone's seen The Time Traveler's Wife. But this trailer really has me interested. Theo James has been in such cinematic marvels like the Divergent movies. (laughs) Yes, I've seen all of those for some reason. (laughs) I know, same. What's up with that? I do think that he has acting chops that I'm hoping that he'll get to show in this. I love Rose Leslie from Game of Thrones, etc. So this looks interesting. And yeah, I'm happy for this to be my version of Time Traveler's Wife that I sink my teeth into. Because as you say, a lot of the time with books that have a larger scale, especially like a high concept like time travel and stuff, you do need that time unless the plot is very simple. You need a little bit of room to let that story evolve in the way that it's got to. I'm not saying do an exact word-for-word adaptation. It's not possible, really. So you do got to make some allowances for changes that they will make. But to have that space, I think, is important. So I'm very, very intrigued by this. Yeah, based on how densely plotted and complex the book is, telling that in two hours and catching even the surface of it is very difficult, and I don't think the film does it very well. It's a real shame because Rachel McAdams certainly was great casting for the Claire character. I could see her being the character that was in the book, and I was reading the book before the film came out, so I already knew who was playing her, but I could easily slot her into that character, because I've done that before where I've been reading books before films came out, and I couldn't see the actor that I knew was playing that character when I was reading it, if that makes sense. I didn't see them slotting into that version of it. One example of that is Silver Linings Playbook. I didn't see Bradley Cooper when I was reading the book, but I knew he was playing the character because I Hmm. didn't see the film until much later and ended up reading the book first and stuff like that. Obviously, they change things from book to film and then lots of people get hung up on the, well, that's not my insert name of character here. Hmm. There's lots of examples of that. So the, the Rose Leslie choice is interesting because I wouldn't necessarily slot her in, but I'll give it a go. I think she's really good. And Theo James, certainly. Wouldn't have thought, but I wouldn't have thought Eric Bana either. Yeah. Although, does anyone ever think of Eric Bana for anything, really? Bless his heart. I know who I need to play this role, Eric Bana. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) He was born to play this role, wasn't he? Not that he's not good, it's just he's very rarely the first name you think of. Mm -hmm. He's not on that Hollywood top 10 list, is he? Yeah, well, he is what in baseball we call a win above replacement. If you haven't heard, I'm into baseball now. So a win above replacement is how better is a certain player than an average Joe who can, I guess, bat. He's up there. I think he's up there. He can bat a ball. He can hit a homer every once in a while. He can play defense. Maybe not the greatest defense, but he's there. He's Eric Banner. What are you talking about? <laughs> yes, I totally agree with that sports metaphor and understood it So fully. much sports. <laughs> <laughs> I fully understood that because I understand sports. I Yo, know sports. You're the sportiest. Yeah, sports. That's me. That's my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. we'll see how this turns out. I think I can hear a really loud, obnoxious noise coming. Angus, what have I told you about... These flybys. You made me spill my drink. I'm sorry, I just felt the need. The need for speed. Just showboating, showing off. Buzzing the tower. You're not going to get away with this. You'll be cashiered out of 
whatever organisation we're in, whatever's going on, this won't stand. Yeah, it'll never stick. Just too reckless, too much of an asset. (laughs) (laughs) Or so you think. So I think, yeah. But since you're here, you might as well talk about the new trailer for Top Gun Maverick. We have a second trailer. It's finally here after being delayed a number of times. So you're the expert here. What did you think of the trailer for Top Gun Maverick, the long-awaited question mark sequel to Top Gun? Certainly the long-gestating sequel to Top Gun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, it has been a long time coming, so much so that I'd kind of lost track of the number of times it had been rescheduled. And I'm perfectly willing to contradict myself and anything that I might have previously said on any other news <laughs> roundup about trailers and about blatant cashing in on nostalgia. But if it's something that I like, then I like it. So <laughs> I like it. There's plenty in there. I can give you a rundown of everything that I liked about it if you want. Go for it. That's why you're here. Okay. Apparently, you just barged in with your jet to tell me about <laughs> this trailer that you like. Yeah, well, we've got the the iconic Top Gun anthem playing, kind of slowed down version. I know that we previously have ragged on other trailers for that sort of thing, (laughs) but in this case, no, perfectly acceptable. Loved it. And then there's plenty of elements in there that tick all the nostalgia boxes. We've got Maverick and his motorbike. There's a a picture of a slightly older looking, possibly unrecognisable from how he actually looks now, Val Kilmer, aka Iceman. (laughs) Plenty of planes, plenty of jets jetting about the place which was good there's goose jr i like the appearance of the mustache and they seem to have replaced beach volleyball with beach football so we've got that scene (laughs) i'm hoping that kenny loggins will be back to score that as well Uh, there was a glimpse of a sing-along in a bar that's obviously a key scene from the original and i hope that they rerun that again blatantly just ripping off the original but ticking my nostalgia boxes i'm glad that they didn't mention anything about the air combat or the war that they might be participating in because that's always been something that's kind of confusing and poorly defined about the original Top Gun and I'm hoping that that continues I don't want to know anything about what's going on what these exercises are I just need to know that there's bad guys and MIGs flying around that need to be kind of scared off probably not even shooting too many of them down it's just flying near them for a bit (laughs) so you like that it's doing pretty much everything that the original film did again but with older actors or younger actors standing in for older actors yeah, younger actors dressed up as older characters. I mean, it's completely cynical, and because I like it, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very different view. This trailer annoyed me, and it's annoyed me for the same reason that Ghostbusters Afterlife annoyed me when I saw the film. They didn't annoy me in the trailer, but it did in the film, and I think subsequently I'm going to be annoyed every time they try and do this. Where it is, there was a film that came out, in this case in the 80s, and in that case in the 80s, that was pretty good. And it has since gained this cult following that has inflated its importance in a lot of ways for a lot of people, which means that whenever they call back to it, it has this reverence to it. Whereas in Ghostbusters, the concept was the working class schlubs doing exorcism as pest control. So the whole idea is this isn't supposed to be super important. It's these people just trying to make money or whatever. And in Top Gun, it's, yeah, these people are doing plain stuff. They're military guys. Again, it's not this thing to be reverential about. You've got this whole thing like Tom Cruise is there. It's like, yeah, I remember when I was here and it's weird coming back. It's like, you were ordered to. And he's like, was I? It just kind of makes me sick, to be honest, just to behold it in that way. It looks good. I'd be surprised if Tom Cruise didn't actually fly some jets for the film. I haven't read if he has, but I'm sure he probably did because he's why wouldn't he? That's what he does. That's the kind of thing he does. That's his acting style. 
yeah, his acting style is, I'm just going to really do this thing. I'm going to do when it. You, when you see me die, I will actually die. <laughs> <laughs> he will die in a Mission Impossible movie. That's what's going to happen. I don't have as nostalgic a connection to the original Top Gun as you do. I do like it, but at the same time, it's just a film that I saw and I quite liked. And I think the reverence in the trailer is laying it on a bit thick. And I'm worried the whole film will just be that. It'll just be The Force Awakens. You've seen this film, but we're just doing it again. Yeah, if the trailer is to be believed, then it's basically going to be a rerun, a sort of reskinning, like you said, a sort of Force Awakens style. It might not be, but it does feel as if the trailer is very much geared to give you that impression. I think if The Force Awakens had been a little more honest and upfront about it, then... I might have enjoyed that movie more. When I was watching it and thinking, okay, we're really just doing this again, are we? It was because I was going in with expectations of something original, whereas I've already had my expectations set fairly low. Most people would probably look at this trailer the same way that you do, and I am acknowledging the cash grab or the rerun that we're likely to witness, but because I know about it and because I heard that music and I hope that I hear additional tracks from the original soundtrack, I would quite happily (laughs) just go with the same thing. They're all classic. I quite often listen to that soundtrack. I listen to it far more often than I watch the movie so I'd happily listen to those again over similar but different shots of (laughs) similar but different stuff I'm glad we just don't have a melancholy cover of Danger Zone oh there will be though there will be well there's got to be one out there right but yeah it's not in the trailer at least but there is a cover of a song in the trailer or is it a cover is the original I'm not sure I don't know it's a slowed down piano version so you really need to get that soaring electric guitar (laughs) to really relive it yeah I'll see it of course I'll see it and I do need to find out if Tom Cruise actually tried to fly a jet for it I imagine he must have otherwise what's he doing I imagine he will have it'd be interesting to see if the third act can be understood this time whereas in the last one (laughs) still have no idea what's going on someone dies I know that much but I don't know why we're going to witness combat on a level no living pilots ever seen and I don't know whether they mean that some dead pilots have seen this combat or no one ever has witnessed anything like it yeah but they need Tom Cruise back because the conflict with unspecified country has reached the point where Tom Cruise needs to be back in the fold even though he's way too old to be a jet pilot Pete Maverick Mitchell will never be too old (laughs) Tom Cruise is caught in this perpetual bubble of whatever age he is (laughs) it's the Scientology It, it keeps him young that does help it does so anything else on the Top Gun Maverick trailer or are you just gonna get back in your jet and cause me to spill more liquid yeah before I shoot off just to say saw John Hammond there as well looking forward to seeing him and um, he'll, he'll do us all proud I'm sure okay well you have clearance to take off I don't need clearance see ya well now that I have had my drink spilled on me and I've talked about a Top Gun we should move on having a wet lap is no reason to stop podcasting is it never Speaking of horrors that can happen to you and spillages and things, I don't know, it's a loose segue. We have the trailer for Crimes of the Future, which is David Cronenberg's next film. It's a teaser, it doesn't really show you very much, but it looks very gruesome and looks like it might be a bit much for me. Yeah, same. I'm normally here for something that blends horror with something else, but I'm just getting gruesome vibes. I'm not really getting any sense of the story. Leia Sedu is in it. I like her, but do I like her enough? I don't know. <laughs> Leia Sedu, who's too rich to be acting. Yeah, I would too, to be honest. Let's all just get rich and retire. But yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure about this one. And also to lead with the fact that David Cronenberg, the guy who gave you Crash, mm, great. Maybe... Yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are that I felt a little bit squeamish watching the trailer. I'm not 
great with gore and extreme mm-hmm. violence and things like that. I think I've said it before. Even if there's an operation in a film or TV show, I have to look away because it just makes me feel sick. So stuff like this is not for me. Although I have enjoyed other Cronenberg stuff that I've seen. The Fly, for example, with Jeff Goldblum. Although I didn't find that too bad, actually. There is some gruesome stuff in it, but it wasn't too bad. And I've seen these other stuff, none of which is leaping immediately to mind. He is currently enjoying a bit of a weird guest star role in Star Trek Discovery, where he turns up as some shifty guy every now and again. Didn't know he was an actor. Maybe he isn't. Maybe he just fancies being on Star Trek and why not? As long as he doesn't bring any body horror into Star Trek because Picard season one did enough of that and I'm nah, I'm not for it. So I don't know if I'll see this. Maybe I will just based on the fact that David Cronenberg is making it, but I'll just be sitting there retching in the cinema maybe. Or maybe I'll just watch it at home with my eyes shut. Could give that a go. I don't know. Might need to see a bit more on this one. It doesn't give you much. A fuller trailer would be helpful. Yeah. Let's move on a bit more tame, I guess, sci-fi. We have Night Sky. I think this was one of those trailers that's going out of its way to be as vague as possible. So it doesn't give you a real sense of what to expect from it. There's just some weird space travel stuff. There's a philosophical slant to it. Plenty of J.K. Simmons, which I'm all for. I don't know if I'll end up watching it as a time thing, maybe much later after it's been out. Maybe once I hear what other people think about it, I'll give it a go. But it certainly seems interesting. It's intriguing enough based on the initial look at the trailer, I think. I agree that it's kind of vague, but also I feel like giving us any more than this risks spoiling what is cool about this premise. So I'm going to check this out, I think. I love J.K. Simmons like you. I think he's a phenomenal actor, and the concept looks... Very interesting. So they've got some kind of portal in their garden shed, question mark. (laughs) And they have to protect this gate. uh, But there's somebody in there that wasn't there before. So yeah, okay. It's kind of your typical sci-fi premise. In itself, it's not blowing my mind. But I do like how it looks. So I think I will give this a go when it's out. So I'll hear from you whether it's worth watching and then yeah, I'll see we'll if see. I can carve yeah. out some time if it's <laughs> worth it. Okay, let's move on to some other weird space stuff. Thor, Love and Thunder has a trailer. The trailer that people have been clamouring for. People have been complaining. Where's the trailer? And why is there no trailer? I'm happy to leave it because I'm going to see a Marvel film anyway. So just give me a title card that tells me when it's coming out and you've already got me in the theatre. It's fine. But we do have a trailer, which I believe is the shortest lead time between a trailer releasing and the film coming out that the MCU has had since it started. As if that's an accolade worth reporting. Who cares? (laughs) Who really cares? I like this trailer a lot. Visually, it looks in step with Thor Ragnarok, which I am all for because I love that movie, just like everybody else. That film united the fandom in a way because there's people that don't like Thor 1 there's people that don't like Thor 2 but everybody likes Thor Ragnarok not everybody of course there's people that don't like it not everybody I've spoken to outliers who do not like Thor Ragnarok and I don't understand them but (laughs) I respect their right to have the wrong opinion (laughs) I do think that this kind of bridges Thor Ragnarok with some of the wonder and magical spectacle that I really enjoyed from the first Thor movie. As avid listeners of this show know, Thor 1 is my favorite Marvel movie. Is that controversial? Probably. Do I care? <laughs> Not even a little bit. 
And so I'm here for the existential question of what do you do when you're a god and everything that has been prophesied has happened. You've saved the world many times over. Now what? We don't really get to see usually what happens after Happily Ever After. What happens after the mission's complete? Usually we just assume, and they went on about their life, had an awesome time, the end. And I think this is the first film, really, that gets to ask this question. I think Falcon and Winter Soldier, probably, is the one show that has asked this question, and WandaVision, what happens after the big moment. But Thor is my favorite, and so I'm happy to see that he will get this exploration of what do I do with my destiny? I fulfilled it, now what? Can't wait for this. I actually find the Thor arc across all of his appearances really interesting because if you boil it down, this is what this trailer's getting at as well. It is someone questioning who he is and what his place in the universe is. All the titles that he has. Is he a king? Is he the favourite son? Is he a god? Is he an avenger? Is he a guardian as he is now? Is he a ravager? Is he a hero? Or is he just a guy? What is he? Who is he? Where does he fit in? And he's definitely exploring that idea in this film. He's asking himself those questions. He's trying to figure it all out. He turned his back on leadership after giving it a go for really not very long (laughs) or five years, but five years of him sitting around playing video games isn't really leadership. So he didn't give it a fair go, I suppose, but it's all that. I, I really enjoy that. And I like it when they let Chris Hemsworth be funny because he is very funny. So there's going to be lots of that in here. Mm-hmm. Some of the little details that I picked up on as well. When you talk about the wonder and so on that's associated with the first film, I was getting definite film one Asgard vibes from the shot of Olympus yes. you get. Mm-hmm. The floating islands and weird geometry and all that stuff. So I was yeah, getting that exactly. impression. That's the moment that I'm referring to as well. I'm glad you caught that. Yeah. yeah and it looks like there's all sorts of cool stuff fighting giant squids and he's kissing blue haired ladies because why not? He's out there having fun. He's finding himself and it looks good fun. Valkyrie in New Asgard where there's fairies it's clearly coming up in the world. She's attending local council meetings where she's probably bored to tears hearing about when to put the bins out, when's the best day to put whatever colour bin out. So that's what she's up to. Apparently her arc in this film is finding a queen. So... Ooh, here for it. Yes, please. <laughs> that'll be another one that's banned in many countries then because they can't <laughs> easily edit out the one reference to LGBT stuff. Yeah. Because Doctor Strange ain't getting released in quite a few countries for that very reasons because they can't just edit it out. Because it's not a single line that we can just cut like it mm. is for the most part. Like it was in Thor Ragnarok, funnily enough. Yeah, we have one reference to this we can easily get rid of so we can sell it everywhere else. One thing I do wonder about this Thor film, though, is there's always going to be a lot of action and you see snippets of that. You don't get a look at the villain or anything like that. But I wonder, would they get away with just an adventure where maybe you just fight some guys and it's a comedy rather than here's another villain that he needs to take out and Gore the God Butcher is the villain. Some guy going around the various pantheons of gods and murdering them and Thor gets in the way. Could we not just have that? That would be quite fun, although... You've got to fit Jane Foster in here somehow. And I saw the picture of Natalie Portman, the workout that she did to get into the shape for this role. And geez. Oh, I haven't She's seen really that. done it. Oh, gosh. I'll send you the image. The detail picked up as well is Mjolnir appears to be the original that's been reforged because you see the cracks on the, the hammerhead and so on. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. She looks exactly like the comic book cover when Jane becomes Thor. So I'm very excited for this. I know that Natalie Portman had issues with being in 
the Marvel movies. I don't think that she was very, I don't know, into it at the time, but let's see how she fares. I'm excited to see how that plot thread is going to develop. Fairly thankless role, to be fair, in two films that would put anybody else. That's I think. true. Well, I liked her in the first one. I don't think I don't know that it was thankless in the first one. The second movie was thankless entirely. <laughs> so I get that. It doesn't seem to have put Rachel McAdams off weirdly doing a similar sort of thing. She mm-hmm. seems quite up for it. But yeah, she's come back. It's we're sorry you didn't get a lot to do in those two films. Do you want to be Thor? She's like, yeah, cool. <laughs> All right, sure. <laughs> come I'll back. be Thor, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You want to be our new Thor, and mm-hmm. uh, you can stand in for Hemsworth when he inevitably stops doing this because we're surprised <laughs> we've had him for this long as it is. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. P- frankly, we're baffled that we're making another one. This has to be the capper because he ain't coming back. Or maybe he is. Maybe they just won't be able to get rid of him. They'll probably put in a bit of a button that suggests he could come back if he wants, but he might not. I reckon that that's what they'll do. But we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. For our final teaser, it is Picard Season 3. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to beam Andrew in for this one. I'm going to interrupt his day and just beam him in like I do. I don't warn people about these things. I just scoop them up and tell them this is what you're doing for the next few minutes. And then I send them back. So if you want to go to the replicator or whatever you want to do, I will discuss with Andrew what is about Star Trek Picard Season 3 and some CW stuff as well. Basically, as I... Put it in the notes. Stuff Cat won't really care about. (laughs) Andrew, welcome aboard. How was the transporter? Did I do it right? Well, it was a little bit painful, but as we've established numerous times previously, that's pretty much par for the course with me. So I think all all in all, you've you've pretty much smashed it. The only person that can feel their spine being stitched back together on a molecular level as you, probably. I was after some work drinks last week, and by the end of the evening, I felt like a rusted corkscrew was being slowly twisted into my lower back. That sounds amazing. And speaking of rusted corkscrews being slowly twisted into your back, let's talk about the teaser for Star Trek Picard Season 3. Segway! What a great segue. I was going to ask you if I interrupted anything and all that, but then you just led me into that. Normally with Chris, it's, oh yeah, I was on my horse, I was on the toilet, I was on this. And, yeah. <laughs> Great banter. That's what you get on this podcast. Classy and entertaining chat and nothing else. Yeah, exactly. So we got a teaser for Picard Season 3. It dropped roughly in the middle of Season 2. <laughs> so that might tell you how much faith Paramount has in their... I don't know what their flagship show is anymore, but one of their flagship things. To be fair, it was unveiled on First Contact Day, which is a celebrated day in the Star Trek calendar. But most people won't know that, so therefore it just seems like Season two's crap, but don't worry, Season 3 might be better. Here's what we're doing here. And... For season three, they are bringing back everyone from the Next Generation cast, except from, at least as far as we know, (laughs) Will Wheaton and Denise Crosby. Well, I'm fairly sure they'll turn up. I can only assume that they're being held back as surprises. Because all of the regular cast who actually stuck around are the ones being shoved front and centre to hook the audience. And then the other characters who were also there will crop up at, at some point as bonus content. Most likely. Just a brief thing. How are you finding Picard Season 2 before we get into it? There'll be a podcast about it on this podcast at some point once the show finishes. But just as a brief summation of how you're finding Season 2. The nicest thing I can say about it is that I'm not enjoying it as much as I did Season 1. To expand on that, it's pish. (laughs) 
it doesn't know what it wants to be. And because it doesn't know what it wants to be, then it's impossible for the audience to have any real reaction to it or to have any genuine enjoyment or faith that it actually knows what it's doing. In the first season, there were callbacks to the next generation because it wouldn't feel proper without them because it's such a major aspect of Picard's history. But this one, it's like it's just rehashing plot ideas from the series to just try to play into people's nostalgia. But it doesn't seem like it's trying to provide anything more than that. And that really isn't any way to tell a story, especially one that is focusing on arguably the most popular character in the entire franchise. Yeah, I more or less agree, although I don't know where I would rank it in comparison to season one, because I've not really done that analysis yet. I think it's more of a cumulative effect for me, though, because it's just more of the same, really. It's just the same guff. It's dragging me down watching it, to be honest. And the thing is, there are individual scenes that I enjoy because they're well-written, in terms of the dialogue, and the actors perform that dialogue really well. But then I come out of that scene and I think to myself, what was the point in that? And quite often there isn't one. By the time it gets to the end of the season, that will be eight episodes spent in the past. Spoilers, they go back in time, it's in the trailer, so it's not a spoiler. And that's a long time, and it's weird that they're not using that time effectively to make it worthwhile to be there. Every episode I watch, I'm thinking, the high-level stuff in this episode, the actual plot-driven stuff, it could have been done as a scene in another episode. And we could be back to the present day by episode five, six, maybe, if you really want to push it. Because I thought the first episode was actually pretty good. You got to see Picard on the bridge of a starship, being an admiral, teaching at the academy, living a more scaled-back but still career-driven existence. And then they just bring in all the stuff and the time travel and the evil timeline. Yeah, I'm not for it. So season three, they're giving me Next Generation cast again, which I should be excited about. But I think they've broken my good faith in this concept by this point, where I'm just going to assume that they're going to Norza up by making it overly saccharine, overly sentimental. Every moment is going to be a profound moment. It's going to be more sentimental than a Fast and Furious movie. We just know it. (laughs) And with the entire Next Generation cast having been brought on board, there is absolutely no way that the whole thing isn't just going to be a gigantic nostalgia trip. Yeah. Marketed squarely at people who watched and loved the series in the 80s and 90s. But I would be very, very surprised if, when it's done, it will end up actually adding anything new to it. It seems to be an extension of the current state of a lot of TV in that just nothing ever ends. We've talked about that before. We have, yes. Everything is constantly revised or rebooted or resurrected or has sequel series or whatever. Exhumed in some cases. Precisely. It's all reanimated by a drunken necromancer. (laughs) Reading his spellbook upside down. As interested as I would be to catch up with the Next Generation characters and find out what the ones we haven't already seen are currently doing. I really don't think that glimmer of interest has the potential to sustain an entire season of TV, especially one that's following on from a season that is so profoundly unpopular among the very people at whom it's marketed. But I bet you can't wait to find out how miserable the existence of these characters has been since Nemesis, because that's the way it is now, isn't it? Everybody's had a really hard time of it. Even Riker, who was optimistic enough, and Troy, dead son. 
So maybe Jordy's gone deaf as well. <laughs> Why not? Let's just kick him a bit more. Not that being blind is not a bad thing. Definitely not for him because he can see better than anybody with his technology. But yeah, he's gone deaf now, possibly. Worf has lost an arm, maybe. I'm looking forward to seeing Worf again. I'm always up for some Worf. Maybe he's actually become some pacifist monk on some like desolate mountain temple or maybe some nonsense. And they've confirmed that Michael Dorn will be in his old makeup, not the Discovery Klingon makeup. So that's good. Worf will look like Worf. And not like a horrifically racist caricature who just robbed the New York jewellery store. Yes. Well, I don't mind the Discovery Klingon makeup. I'm not as bothered about that as some people are, but I would hate Worf to look like that because Worf is Worf to me. He should just look like Worf. Exactly. That's all there is to it. But the thing about the Next Generation crew is, even when they started leaning into the whole we are a bit of a family thing, I never really got the family vibe from that group of people because they are just people that work together. They may get along, but they work together. And all these things are all about, yeah, those were the good old days. We were inseparable. We couldn't be stopped, whatever. And I'd quite like to see just a group of people that used to work together or used to be part of a TV show coming back together and they just hate each other, or <laughs> it's okay that they've drifted apart. Jordy's like, I'd be pretty happy if I never saw Riker again, to be honest, he was a dick. And Riker's like, well, I'd rather not see Jordy again because he's boring. And because Jordy is really boring <laughs> as a character. So I don't know. But this is happening and I should be more excited about it than I am. And I'm expecting a aggressively mediocre season of television next year sometime. Same. Anything else about the TNG Season 8 Picard Season 3 trailer? Or will we move on to our next item? I honestly don't think there's much more that can be said about something that was just basically a litany of actors' names being exploded one by one onto the screen in the expectation of inducing multiple nerdgasms in those watching it. New dialogue, though. There was new dialogue in it as well. I honestly couldn't remember it enough to be certain one way or the other. Fair play. Okay, let's move on while I've got you here. A couple other things. Let's move on to another show that we love, The Flash. Excuse me, I'm actually just going to tear my spine out and just have done with it. (laughs) Yeah. The Flash might be coming to an end after an abbreviated ninth season. So they're doing Arrow, but a year later, by the sounds of things, we'll cap this off with a bit of an epilogue sort of thing, although Arrow was different because it was also building up to Crisis, with a bunch of fetch quests that Oliver Queen went on that proved to be pointless because they didn't get mentioned during Crisis at any point. I don't think it will come as any surprise to those listening to this that I would be very happy to see the end of The Flash. Oh yes. Just so I can stop having to watch it and stop having to talk about it. (laughs) Having. (laughs) That's hilarious, as if we have to do it. Well, for me personally, with a lot of things that I've invested, basically hours upon hours upon hours of my life taking in, I feel this kind of obligation to see it through to the end, regardless of how indifferent I am to it. To be fair, there are some fragments of The Flash that are still enjoyable, and I haven't as completely checked out of it as I have The Walking Dead. It's also coming up to its end, and I just do not care anymore. I stopped watching The Walking Dead in season four. That was an easy one to drop. Honestly, it didn't get much better. Okay, well, I wouldn't bother. I will not spend my time on it. Yeah, not worth it. If I ever go back to The Walking Dead, I'll watch season one, and then that'll do. That's enough. Yeah, to remind yourself that it actually was really good in the beginning. Yeah, but back to The Flash? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Showrunner Eric Wallace says, These three seasons, 6, 7, and 8, 
We're all part of one big master plan. Everything you've seen along the way has been leading towards the finale of season eight. Everything has been deliberate. COVID threw us a couple of curveballs here, but in general, we're pretty much sticking to what I originally planned for the three seasons that I hoped we would have. If that is allowed to come to fruition and we're allowed to go into season nine, a new plan will start. What has been building for three seasons? (laughs) Nothing. My reaction to reading that was, what? Just what? So, for example, was it completely deliberate to, when they introduced Bloodwork, a villain who practically nobody had heard of and whose only presence was just to fill space in the schedule until Crisis started? Or was it completely deliberate to have an entire civil war amongst multiple iterations of Godspeed that ultimately went absolutely nowhere and was genuinely one of the most boring arcs this show has produced and by god that is saying something i just genuinely refuse to believe that (laughs) i know there is going to be some frantic attempt to retrofit everything that's happened over the last three years into some muddled culmination that somehow involves all of it or the showrunner and writers of this show are really terrible at their jobs. I'll need to put in the show notes that parody video about the Flash writer's room, about them trying to get themselves cancelled. We've made it the worst it's ever been. Absolutely. Surely this will be it, and then, renewed! What? We had them fighting with lightning lightsabers. Come on. (laughs) I honestly rarely watch a single episode now and not think of that video. Yeah. (laughs) When we have Iris's time sickness, because that's interesting, isn't it? Maybe that's going somewhere. Yeah, because the obviously have something planned to do with it because it's done absolutely nothing so far. When that reared its head again, I was like, oh good, an element that you introduced for this character that makes absolutely no sense and you're doing more with it. Brilliant. Another season of this. Really loving this. As we talk, we are, I don't know, 11 episodes into season 8 or something? I'm not sure. Uh, I can't remember. It's about the same as it normally is. There's been a couple episodes that I've been thinking, "Eh, that's not been terrible or there's some of them where I'm think um, that scene was okay or I still like the cast I suppose but yeah I'm ready to say goodbye to it I'm ready for it to end it's been on the air for eight years and it hasn't been good for seven of them (laughs) that's quite (laughs) remarkable all right six and a half about half of season two is good and if nothing else to actually maintain such a low quality for so long is actually kind of an achievement in and of itself yeah, but people are watching it. It's one of the highest rated shows in the CW somehow, so it must be doing something right. Yeah. For some people. I just can't figure out what it is. No. So, abbreviated final season, potentially. They haven't confirmed this yet. It's just suggested that that could be the case. The suggestion is that it's up to Grant Gustin. It's about how many episodes they can pin him down for because contracts are up and stuff, and he could command a decent salary for a ninth season, so they're negotiating there maybe. Jesse L. Martin is leaving the show, although he might appear a couple of times, because he's been cast in the pilot episode of an NBC show called The Irrational, where he will play the lead. A guy called Alex Baker, a respected behaviour science professor who uses his knowledge of how human beings think to defuse sticky situations involving governments, relations and law enforcement. That sounds like an NBC show, doesn't it? Yeah, because if there's one thing that TV schedules need more of, it's consultant detective police procedurals. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, you're not trading up from Satan, the devil. You're not trading up from there. <laughs> That's about as loony as that concept can get. Good for Jesse L. Martin, though. And if anybody's thinking, oh, he's leaving the show, why? It's, but it's eight years of work. It's fair enough. Like when Michael Rosenbaum left Smallville, everyone's oh, Lex is 
left the show. He did a year longer than he was contracted for. So fair enough. Yeah, because I mean, when you put that big a chunk of your life into a single series, it doesn't owe you anything, really. No, you don't owe the fans anything at that point. No. Not that you ever did. And it's unreasonable to suggest otherwise. Yeah, so The Flash, happy to say goodbye to it. We'll do a podcast about Season 8 when it finishes in June. Can't wait. Yeah, there's going to be lots to talk about. There's Armageddon, there's the filler episodes between Armageddon and whatever they're doing now. There's time sickness. Genuinely can't remember, and I only caught up last week. I won't say who the main villain's supposed to be for the rest of the season, because that might be a spoiler for some people, but that's happening. Okay, well, I've got you again. Let's talk a bit about CW bubble renewal stuff. We're still waiting on a final decision for particularly other shows as well, but I don't care about them. Legends of Tomorrow Mm -hmm. and Batwoman. They're talking about shows like The 4400 it's actually just 4400 Deadline, the new one, but there we go. Dynasty, they might be the most vulnerable shows. Charmed and Legacies are probably going to make it through, but we don't know. The big Warner Brothers shake-up with them being bought by Discovery has probably appended quite a few plans in this space. So who knows what will happen at the CW? Plus that might be for sale. Who knows? It's all corporate stuff. And I will talk a bit with Kat about... The whole Warner Brothers retooling the DC film plan, and that'll be part of this. It's all feeding into this because it is a big corporate merger. It's all boring contractual stuff that we really shouldn't care about. All I really care about is, it's the stuff I watch coming back or not. And Mm -hmm. particularly with Legends and Batwoman, there is some questioning over whether they're going to come back. And it seems like, certainly based on what's been reported so far, that there's a bit of a Sophie's Choice situation across four of these shows where... Legends and Batwoman are getting paired with a show each in order to determine whether they get renewed or not. So Legends is paired with Naomi for some reason. They're not sure whether Legends will get another season or Naomi will get another season. I talked to Chris about the most recent season of Legends on a podcast that you can listen to. Link will be in the show notes, etc. And we talked about how it does feel like it's approaching an end point. And I'm sure you'll agree that it feels like it's winding down, but at least give them a few episodes to do that. You owe them that after it's been on the air for so long. Yeah, and especially since the other superhero shows were brought to actual conclusions rather than just being abruptly terminated. I will concede that I am kind of biased because Legends is far and away my favourite CW show. Not just the comic book superhero ones, but of literally all of them, of which there are so, so many. (laughs) It's fun, it's demented, it's imaginative, and it enjoys poking fun at itself and just coming up with the most ridiculous concepts you can think of. How many other superhero series would have an episode whose plotline revolves entirely around a trip to a cosmic bowling alley, (laughs) where the heroes end up attempting to save the planet through a bowling match, while said planet is used as the ball? I I just love it so much. Insane stuff, but Great. I would be sad if there was no more of it, but at least give it a chance to end on its own terms. I think if they said, we're going to give it six episodes, say, to cap it off, you can build in an ending that way, I'd be like, yeah, cool, fair enough. It's been running for seven years, an eighth year, fine. I don't think we've ever said there's only so far they can take this concept because they just kept proving year on year, oh no, there's plenty of mileage in this, and they can just swap characters out. But most of the originals are gone. The last season particularly was positioning characters 
to pursue their own futures, possibly independent of each other. So it does feel like it makes sense for it not to run for very much longer, unless you transition to, here's the newer characters, because they haven't got it all figured out yet, leading a bunch of newer characters that haven't Mm -hmm. figured it all out yet. I suppose there are less spare parts flying around the Arrowverse than there were when the show started. Yeah, because it seems to me that after Crisis, and now the Arrow and Supergirl have both ended, there seems to be much less interest in maintaining a visual interconnectedness in everything. Yeah. And they just seem perfectly happy for each of the shows to be its own thing now. And while most of them take place on the same Earth, it doesn't seem like there's any more need for them to have anything to do with each other. Apart from in a comic book crossover that's in the process of being released, I think. I don't know if it's fully released yet. But there's an Earth Prime comic book that is the crossover. Yeah, which I can... I imagine is being made to satiate the demands of people who actually like all of that stuff. Even though I'll never read it, but yeah. Because I can't be bothered doing it on TV anymore. Give them a bit of slack because of COVID. It was difficult to combine productions and things. I suppose they could get away with it more now. And The Flash kind of did it with Armageddon. You had Alex on a screen in one episode. That was technically a crossover. You can do <laughs> that. And Black Lightning was there, despite the fact no one invited him, as usual. And most of the characters never even met him. Don't know who he is. And then you had the one where it was in the future and Ryan was there for some reason and the other Ryan was there for some reason. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them in the same room. But because it was the future, they didn't need to justify any of the interpersonal history that would allow such an event to even take place. And an alternate future, so it makes even less difference to the overall show. (laughs) Yeah. So Legends and Naomi are apparently battling it out, bit of the Sophie's Choice thing, and Batwoman will be in contention with Gotham Knights, a show that isn't on yet and <laughs> may never be on, even though we've talked about the fact that they've cast it in things. And It's interesting that they're pitting them against each other because of how conceptually similar they are. They are both shows about a character that picks up the slack after Batman is gone. They even seem to share some characters, although they probably won't be the same versions played by the same actors. Gotham Knights has to be set in a different universe because it can't be... We're protecting Gotham City, and Batwoman's over there also protecting Gotham City. (laughs) I feel like if there has to be a choice there, I don't think I'd be too upset if Batwoman didn't make the cut. I am interested to see Gotham Knights purely because I just want to see Misha Collins play Two-Face. Because who wouldn't? Yeah. Really? And if Gotham Knights doesn't make the cut, then they have to introduce him as Two-Face in Batwoman. That's the rule. They have to do it. Yeah, there is no other option. No. It only makes sense. I don't even remember what happened at the end of Batwoman Season 3. That's horrible. I didn't review it this season because I didn't have time, so it meant I was just watching it and a bit of it washed over me. There was something about a crashing blimp, was that in the finale? Yeah, and then while I was being investigated, there was some monstrous thing appeared from just off the film footage camera and swiped the investigator out of the screen. Oh, that's right. I don't know, maybe they're bringing in Solomon Grundy? Yeah, I can't wait to see a CW budget Solomon Grundy after we saw a really good-looking one on Stargirl. Exactly. I mean, there's no reason to think that actually would be him, though, but it was just the first giant monstrous creature that came to mind. Yeah, although we did have Solomon Grundy in the Arrowverse before. In Arrow, he was just a strong guy in the episodes that Barry first turned up. Yes, and was still Cyrus Gold. Yes, and Oliver killed him, despite the fact he wasn't killing people that season. <laughs> and he also had him in Gotham as well. I didn't see that far, but sure. But honestly, the less said about 
that the better. So what would be your choice between Gotham Knights and Batwoman? A show you have seen and a show that you haven't seen. I'm kind of indifferent to Batwoman, just in general. It isn't grabbing me as much as all the other superhero stuff. And despite the fact that there really isn't much need for another Batman TV show without Batman. I am interested to, to see what they're going to do with the Gotham Knights concept, even if I mortally despise Jason Todd as a character. <laughs> it seems a bit unnecessary in that respect, but it seems weird that they've spent all this time developing it, spent all this money on it, and then, oh, this might not happen. But I suppose that's the nature of television production. No word on whether they're still planning to develop Diggle and his university students show, Diggle and the Sexy Squad, as I've been calling it. <laughs> that should be the title of the series. Should be. Not just as you, that's boring. Diggle and the Sexy Squad. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. Because it basically tells you exactly what you're going to get. Yeah. And you're much. going to love it. And there was chat about another one as well. I can't remember what it is now. Talked about it maybe last month or something. I don't know. But it seems to be a bit of a time of uncertainty for the old Arrowverse. I think it'll be a shame for Batwoman because the Ryan Wilder character is theirs. It's one they built from the ground up. They introduced her, they developed her and made her a viable character in her own right. So just to get rid of that after two years doing it is a bit of a shame. I'm sure she'll turn up in the comics at some point. They'll bring in a version of her somewhere. Yeah, they usually do. I don't know where else Batwoman could turn up. Ryan Wilder could turn up. Apparently they're going to answer the question on whether Superman and Lois is set in the same universe as the Arrowverse or not by the end of the season. So that'll be fun. They're going to finally put us out of our misery with that one. Hmm. And by put us out of our misery, put Chris out of his misery. Every time it comes up, he's like, but I don't know. The actors are different and things are different. And it looks better than the other shows. It can't be set in the same universe. And there would multiple iterations of the same character as different people and different species. There was a whole episode where Superman wasn't around and they didn't mention anything about the other superheroes picking up the slack. <laughs> <laughs> There's been multiple occasions where Supergirl would have been handy and they didn't call her. Why? Why? Oh yes, and also Bizarro, who Supergirl also fought, is <laughs> in the show and not mentioned. Oh, yes, all this stuff. <laughs> And we're just going to quietly ignore the our Morgan Edge is actually a evil renegade Kryptonian, whereas Supergirl's Morgan Edge was basically a toned down stand-in for Lex Luthor. Yes, he was definitively not Kryptonian. There was no doubt in my mind that that man was just a man. He was not anything else. So yeah, we'll get our answer. Oh yeah, and Lucy Lane, who was in charge of the DEU for a while, is now yeah, she's now a possibly mentally ill, brainwashed cult survivor, but then actually still part of it, but might be wanting to get out of it or might not, but it's difficult to tell because they're not making it very clear. Just using it to provide as many dramatic moments as possible. That about covers it. So we'll see what happens. Maybe by the time this podcast goes out, they'll have answered the question. Who knows? But there we go. So thank you for joining for this roundup of three things that Cat will not care about. <laughs> I am always open to making a bonus appearance as someone's the second choice conversation partner. It's not the second choice, it was just Kat's turn. And then things as always come up that might not lead to an interesting discussion with the person that is doing most of the stuff. So that's why I give myself more work. It's for the good of the conversation. For the cause. For the cause. For the uniform. So if you want to step back on the transporter, I will beam you back to wherever you were and I'll try and make it less difficult on your spine. Yeah, well, if you could just put it back in the right place, then I think I can manage. I will do my best. Energising. Energising.
Okay, we've escaped the trailers. Wasn't that many this month, or it didn't feel like there was that many. Felt like we got through them. Maybe it's because I was interrupted by people wanting to talk about different trailers. Maybe that mixed it up a bit. But anyway, mm-hmm. let's start with our Neil Before Pod pillars. We will go to the Marvel Universe, first of all. The only bit of Marvel news I was able to find is that Marvel Studios' Ironheart has found its directors and a bit of production team as well. Sam Bailey and Angela Barnes will divide directing duties for the Disney Plus series, which will be produced by Proximity, the production company co-founded by Black Panther filmmaker Ryan Coogler. In case you've forgotten, the series follows Riri Williams, played by Dominique Thorne, who invents a suit of armour similar to Tony Stark's Iron Man suit. Not much more is known. But she is set to debut as Riri Williams first in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. So presumably the armour will be Wakandan tech. That'd be my guess. Seems like they're going to be doing a lot of costume stuff for superheroes. They made the new Captain America suit. Why not the new Iron Man suit? Just branch out into that sort of stuff. She'll be joining the show by Anthony Ramos and Lyric Ross on the series. That's about it. Got some directors. What did they actually do, though? Bailey, she's the director of a web series, You're So Talented, which premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. She's also directed episodes of Dear White People, Grown-ish, The Chi, and Alone Together. And Barnes, the other one, directed episodes of Mythic Quest, Blindspotting, and Season 4 of Atlanta, which are all shows that I've heard of, but never seen. They've got a team together, and it seems like they've got a decent pedigree, as they all do for these shows. They bring in decent people, they always do. Yeah, I've not seen the blind spotting TV series actually, but the film is fantastic. And I've heard really good things that the TV show picks up from the movie and just kind of takes it onwards. So I'm really excited about this one because the story from the comics is really cool. And because Ryan Coogler and his company is involved and Riri Williams will be introduced in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and then we'll get to see her story onwards. I'm super here for... uh, young, whip-smart black girl who's just here to wow us. Tony Stark whomst? I'm here for that. Yeah, it should be fun. I've liked all the Disney Plus shows so far. I don't think there's been a duff one among them, so I'm sure I'll enjoy this. I'm really looking forward to Ms. Marvel. We talked about the trailer from last oh, month. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see how that pans out. It'll be in the June roundup, I guess, where I start talking about what I've seen of that. Yeah, it's two months away from when we record now. Let's hop over to the DC Universe. There are some concerns about particularly Ezra Miller. The Flash movie has been delayed again, which probably makes it one of the most delayed movies of all time, especially considering how long gestating the actual production of it was. But apparently Warner Brothers and DC executives held an emergency impromptu meeting to discuss Ezra Miller's future with the studio following his recent arrest. And since I found this article, he's been arrested again. Apparently he's just going around, is it Hawaii? Just assaulting people, which is a bit concerning. I don't want to say too much about Ezra Miller. I don't know the guy, obviously. Maybe it's not obvious. Maybe we're best friends, who knows. But he's clearly got some issues that he needs to work out. And they're unfortunately translating into really public outbursts that are harmful to both himself and other people so that's a shame but I do wonder what the future will be I wonder if they will ditch him after this after this film they've already made Hmm. I'm not really invested in the DCEU stuff and I haven't seen the Flash movie well no one has that's the problem yes 
I haven't had much of an interest in any of it. I haven't seen Justice League. I haven't seen Aquaman. <laughs> I didn't see the Snyder Cut. I just don't care. It's that desperation thing that Sony has. I feel like DC has it with their film <laughs> stuff. So I'm just so much less inclined to even care. I will say it makes me sad because I do think that Ezra Miller is a very talented actor and through their position as a celebrity, kind of a voice for non-binary people. And so to see them struggle so much, clearly there's something going on. Is it mental health? Is it an addiction problem? Is it anger management? Something's happening. And obviously, professionally speaking, the studios are not obliged to take care of their actors. They have to seek help. And I don't know if that's something that Miller's even inclined or if they've done it I don't know just reading about all of that like I knew about the Iceland incident and that just kind of made me worry a little bit but the Hawaii stuff I just don't know it makes me sad and I want to see them do well I want to see them have a bright career because I think they could carry an entire film they're good they're a good actor but I just I don't know reading that article just filled me with sadness yeah. and concern and i hope that they get help and i don't care about the flash movie <laughs> <laughs> or the dceu at large i really don't i like the batman and i like some of the stuff that we're gonna talk about in a little bit i'm into that side of things the newer stuff but yeah Ah, a big sigh, shaking my head in disappointment a little bit. Obviously, you got a right to struggle, but ask for help. And if it's something that's an ongoing issue and it's affecting all areas of your life, just do something. I'm sure that people around Miller's life, they care. So I, yeah, I just want him to do better. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I will apologize for using improper pronouns. I refer to them as he. I didn't know about the non-binary thing. But yeah, there's a lot of concerning things that they've said about gun violence and people having rights to guns and stuff like that. Just a whole mess. Pro-gun stuff is a larger issue. Yes. I don't know it necessarily has to do with the anger stuff and the stalking people and things like that. It has to do with the broader public image that they have, though. Oh, sure, sure. I would even argue that it just highlights a larger issue around American culture and gun things. And I don't think that necessarily being pro-gun makes you like a bad person. But some of the stuff around semi-automatics and just the casualness through which they seem to address violence in their life, that's what's concerning about Miller on a personal individual level. Yeah, and I mean, I can see why Warner would be concerned about whether films would go from there. We've seen this a lot recently, what with Will Smith and the very immediate effect that financially someone can have an impact on projects that they're involved in. I'm not surprised if Warner's concerned that they're not going to be able to make back their huge investment <laughs> on these probably mediocre movies. Am I too much of a Marvel fangirl? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Sorry to the DC lovers who listen to this podcast. You've said enough. Kevin Feige will give you your check. You've had the you. quote Thank up. you. Uh, <laughs> he will you send you the money. To, if you can make it out to Kat Corbetti, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I can see the, the concern of are people not going to want to support a movie that Miller is in 
because they've done all this. It's valid. It's legitimate. And at the end of the day, also, because they had outbursts on the filming of The Flash on set and things like that, it also just kind of raises questions about safety around the workplace. And that's an extremely valid concern to have, especially in light of, I don't know, the Alec Baldwins of the world. (laughs) There's just so much happening in Hollywood right now. You just got to be careful and make sure that nobody's going to turn up with UGG. (laughs) I just have concerns, too. I understand. What I would suggest is that 90% of the people that might go to see the film probably won't care or won't ever find out about the Hmm. stigma associated with the actor that might be in it. I think Fantastic Beasts, the latest one, did poorly because it's crap rather than because of anybody in it. Oh, sure. (laughs) I didn't see it because the first two broke me. I just couldn't sit through another one. I heard it was two and a half hours and two and a half hours of people migrating from location to location, telling each other their backstories is more than enough. I've had it before. I don't need to do it again. Yeah, I think I've had an outburst of thoughts about the Fantastic Beasts movie on this very podcast at some point. Several months ago, probably, when the trailer came out. Potentially, yes. But I will agree that at the end of the day, you got to make a good movie. (laughs) And they're not really doing that right now. Also, don't give your money to J.K. Rowling. She sucks. So that's it. (laughs) That's all I have to say. Although, in theory, give your money to the hundreds, if not thousands, of other people that worked on the movie. No, I'm really sorry. They should be working on things... (laughs) that are affronted by that monster. So I'm fine, thank you. I'm not giving them my money because I just don't want to watch it because I think it will be a waste of my time. (laughs) That was my moral stance that I took. I'm not seeing this film because I think it'll suck and I don't want to watch it. Too true. That's where I ended really on that. Legitimate. We might as well talk about the DC shakeup then, since we're kind of already talking about it. You mentioned you haven't seen things like Aquaman and stuff. I think when DC just make a film, they do it quite well, as Mm -hmm. in without worrying about how it connects to anything or rushing to anything. So stuff like Aquaman is just a thing that you can watch independent of anything else. Shazam, which I know you like because we've talked about it before, is the same sort of idea. So Mm -hmm. when they do films like that, Joker, for example, even though I hate it, is very much its own thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people did like it. So therefore, their approach of, hang on, let's just make films and see what happens, was working. But things are changing because Discovery of all entities, bought Warner Brothers. They bought them for $43 billion for some reason. Yeah, And it's going to potentially affect DC feature film development in the future. And there's all sorts of stuff. But basically, the high-level notes of it is whoever is revamping this stuff has decided they want more things. They want a connected universe like Marvel. They want to have that success, so they'll appoint a Kevin Feige type oversee that which they've done before and it didn't work but it'll work this time why not and they want more films like aquaman the batman joker they also want to do better by superman who they think has been languishing so basically they want a connected universe with more films like aquaman and joker in it and those things don't seem to add up superman has been languishing and he didn't really get a great treatment in the movies, the recent ones. Despite the fact that Henry Cavill is absolutely the right pick for the role, I think he's been short-trifted. 
Yeah, if you expand on what you did in Man of Steel and give him something really to chew on, then there could be something special there. But Potentially, yeah. Having him be supporting characters in Batman films, essentially, is not a great <sighs> idea. Yeah, no, and it didn't work out. It's a shame. Whatever ends up happening, whether they recast or whatever, I would like to see a better Superman movie. I'm absolutely here for that. I will say, here comes the desperation again. <laughs> <laughs> We need to do what Marvel does. They make so much money. Ah, multiple billion dollar movies. I want a slice of that pie. <laughs> but Joker also worked. So should we do that? So maybe Joker? Listen, I think that they've got something really interesting in the Batman. I don't think we have talked about this. I'm lukewarm on the Batman. There's a whole podcast about it. I quite liked it. I don't know that I five stars liked it, but four stars liked it. Best film ever made liked it as the hyperbole was going. <laughs> <laughs> Hardly. But I did quite enjoy it. And I think that if this is the kind of gritty version that skews a little comic booky, I think I'm kind of okay with this Batman, actually. Better than every other Batman I've seen of late. Because my favorite Batman has been the Tim Burton stuff. That's my formative Batman, if you will. So Michael Keaton, really, mostly. You'll get to see him again if The Flash ever comes out. Yeah. Well, or in Batgirl, actually, which will probably Batgirl, be out first yeah, at this point. That's the one. So I really liked how this soft rebooted some things and brought back that Burton-y comic books, but scary vibe. I enjoyed that. And so I think that they've got something interesting in that version of Gotham that if they can find a Feige person to kind of unite this version of the Batman with all the other various characters, they could have something here. But I just don't know that they've ever had the right approach to this. And I am not filled with confidence. And I don't know that I care enough to root for it. <laughs> I liked this one movie. And maybe any future... Pattinson Batman's Battenson? Is that a thing? Do we call him Battenson? You can call him whatever you want. Well, I'll call him Battenson. I'm here for the sequels, probably, question mark. They could still mess it up. Who knows? <laughs> it's interesting just how much upheaval Warner has been through. In my lifetime, anyway, there's just been a lot of big-time acquisitions and changes in the direction of the company and so on. I mean, they have reverberated across the comic and film business side of things and as we've seen not always in a great way could this be their chance to have a bit of a comeback and they are entrenched in the culture without them even marvel wouldn't be what it is their rivalry has shaped each other yeah and comics and superheroes and everything that we love in this here podcast so yeah i don't want them to fail but also they haven't done well in my lifetime i'm just kind of like <laughs> eh, i'm 32 man and they're still struggling to make a decent thing i don't know we'll yeah, see. we should have a dozen um, versions of superman of differing levels of quality but yeah. they just can't seem to get it done no, not even the once things fizzle out with the dc movies so maybe if they find the right person who could that be who knows we'll see where that goes there's a lot of lingering questions around what they're doing so they want to essentially do a bottom-up revamp of the dc universe or various universes and what i think dc does over marvel is i think they take bigger swings than marvel do in terms of what they're 
willing to slot into their universes. So you've got the Suicide Squad, you've got the Joker, you've got the Batman. They're all completely different feels. Yeah. We love Marvel, but there is a... tones, there is a uniformity to the tone. Yeah, completely agreed, yeah. That's the decision they've made, and neither approach is right or wrong. It's just different. But DC take, I would argue, bigger risks in what they make, which means that some of this stuff is ill thought out and a bit naff but equally some of the stuff is great we talked about suicide squad which or the suit we talked about both and i liked the suicide squad more than you did but mm-hmm. it was something different and something unique and the peacemaker spin-off show was excellent as well i absolutely loved it and there's all these other projects that i'm interested in that they're planning to make things like the michael b jordan produced superman thing is that dead now because of this are they just going to mm-hmm. abandon that are all these things Good that they're question. thinking about dead yeah. But it doesn't seem to track that you want your connected universe, you want more films like Joker, but you want more films like Aquaman, you want Superman to be in there, you want all this stuff. These things don't fit together, not in a unified connected universe, or at least not easily. I don't think you could introduce Superman in the Batman universe, for example, because that purposely knocks off a lot of the more fantastical elements to give you something that almost could exist, not quite, but it purposely makes that choice. So if they suddenly... decided to introduce a flying alien you might be a bit like i'm not sure i believe that that would exist here but yeah depends how they do it i wouldn't think that that would work it's a bit wishy-washy it's all corporate stuff at this point and it's here we have plans and we'll get someone in to do this and bring it all together and i hope whoever they bring in is aware that any time they put out any marketing material the comments underneath it will just be restore the snyderverse a million (laughs) times and Is the person who takes the job willing to put up with that? (laughs) I would, by the way. So DC, Warner Brothers, Discovery, if you're listening, I'll do the job. I'll just ignore any comments that come in because it'll just be screeds of restore the Spider-Verse. That's all people will tell you. And that's all they want. Things like positive review bombing Morbius because he's our Joker. Stuff like that. These people are lunatics. They really are. Not everyone that likes the Snyderverse is a lunatic. I like it and maybe I'm not a lunatic, but there are a lot of lunatics that like that stuff and they're chasing this thing that is just never going to happen. You got your Snyder cut, but you didn't get it for the reasons you thought you would. It wasn't made to appease you. It was made because we need content and this thing is mostly done. So we'll finish it and that was it. They're not going to make Justice League 2 or any spin-offs that you might imagine. Ben Affleck isn't coming back as Batman after the Flash movie because he doesn't want to. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't matter. You you can't just bundle them in a van and say, you're Batman now for the rest of your life because that's, that's not how things work. Like, you can't expect that of people. So I really don't know, but I'm equal parts concerned and interested by this because I don't want all these interesting projects that we've talked about over the months of doing this that seemed cool to die off these things that are in very early development because that happens a lot with dc where it's we might make this and ah, now we won't or we'll fold it into this how many films was margot robey set up with at one point how many times (laughs) was harley quinn going to appear god true and she ended up appearing twice i suppose after her initial appearance but still there was more planned there's where else can we use this character i know Mm. (laughs) throw her in everything and she was plan for everything so i guess we'll see how it pans out and a lot of feeds into the cw stuff that i was speaking to andrew about in one of the buttons i think that this is having a bit of upheaval for them as well in terms of their shows and where they're going to fit into this weird future that they're building so yeah interesting stuff Mm. it's all corporate money stuff but i'm always interested in 
rooms full of lawyers debating about what to do with Superman. I feel like there's a sitcom in there. Intellectual property lawyers just shouting about, no, Spider-Man <laughs> is ours. We want you to do this with him and stuff. I think that'd be really funny. Now, it's yeah, a, probably a one-scene mm-hmm. joke, but, but it'd be quite funny. You can just imagine these people being like, no, 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 Superman should be in this thing because that'll be more profit. I don't know. I'll flesh it out and, and come up with a spec script. That's what I'll do. So yeah, DC are doing stuff and the Snyderverse is never coming back. Sorry, guys, it's over. The Flash will be the last <laughs> appearance of the Snyderverse. Ben Affleck will make his graceful exit in that movie. Ezra Miller will probably make a graceful exit or a graceless exit, I don't know, in that movie. And there was people saying, oh, they should just get Grant Gustin in to replace him. And does anyone ask Grant Gustin what he wants to do? Because his show might be wrapping up. And I suspect his response is, I did it for nine years. No, I'm not doing any more. Has it really been nine years? My God. Yeah. Well, I think with the pandemic, it has actually been nine years. But there'll be nine Mm. seasons, at least. Long time. He's earned the right to get away from it. (laughs) Let's not saddle him into a procession of possibly mediocre to bad sequels of a film that is almost doomed to fail and cursed at this point. Still on DC, there is something in development that might not happen now that we've said all this. But (laughs) HBO Max, the HBO Max stuff tends to at least get off the drawing board. But they're developing an Aqualad origin story. You Brought Me to the Ocean is the title. Charlize Theron is going to produce. The live-action one-hour drama date is based on characters from DC and the graphic novel by Alex Sanchez and Jules Morrow. The series will explore the life of Jackson Jake Hyde, a gay teenager living in New Mexico. All his life he has had a strange attraction to the water and yearns to escape his desert surroundings for the ocean. As he explores his abilities including breathing under and controlling water, he also finds himself falling in love with his classmate high school swim captain Kenny Liu. No writer is currently attached, but Charlize Theron, as I've said, is producing it. Aqualad is an interesting character. If you haven't seen the animated show Young Justice, do so because he's prominent in that and he's really good. And with Charlize Theron producing it, she's obviously found some way to be interested in it. Something's caught her eye, so cool. Yeah, I'm always here for LGBT superheroes. Yes, thank you. I'd be super interested in that. Although I will say, Aqualad? Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the name. I don't, I, don't, I don't like it. I don't like that he is Aqua Lad. <laughs> it was concocted many decades ago. Clearly. No, especially living in the UK. A lad is a different thing here. <laughs> it's not just a, another word for boy. A lad is a very specific thing. Look up lad culture if you're not from the UK. <laughs> I think a lot of our listeners are UK based, so that's fine. But if you're not in the UK and you don't know what I'm talking about... Google lads, lads, lads. And I think that's going to give you the vibe of what I'm talking about. And so, yes, just hearing the name Aqualad, I'm just like, ah, buddy. Aqua Boy would have been better. (laughs) Is there an Aqua Boy? Would we be infringing? (laughs) I suppose the American equivalent of lad would be bro, wouldn't it? Kind of. Yeah, I think it's the closest thing. Uh, I I might even say that a lad is worse. (laughs) We already have Aqua Bro, it's Jason Momoa. We already had him. (laughs) Aqua Bro, that's great. It probably won't have any connection to the Jason Momoa stuff, although it might. Who knows? DC Mm -hmm. are just 
doing stuff. And I kind of applaud them just doing stuff without worrying about who it connects to or why it connects to it. That's also kind of their problem. They keep saying, oh, nothing connects to anything and we're losing money. We should connect things. But then they keep making things that don't connect so that it's, what do you want, man? What do you want from me? (laughs) My guess is that it would be they will mention if not introduce a version of Atlantis and they might mention Aquaman but not show him and be vague about what version of him it might be. That'd be my guess. The same way the CW shows do with stuff when they really can't talk about this other version of the character or their own version of a character. Like how they've been dodging Batman for years even though there's a show called Batwoman. Just stuff like that. That'd be my guess. But yeah, interesting enough. Speaking of another weird DC project, the Wonder Twins has got a cast Riverdale star K.J. Appa and 1883 actress Isabel May. I know who one of them is. I don't know who she is. But they've nabbed the alien sibling lead roles in The Wonder Twins, a live-action DC comedy for HBO Max. Appa will play Zan and May will play Janna. The plotline is under wraps, you know, because we better keep that a secret. Janna is known for her talent of transforming into an animal, while Zan is a shapeshifter of sorts. He can transform into... Elements like water or ice or whatever. The characters made their debut on the all-new Super Friends Hour from Hanna-Barbera and then appeared in the world's greatest Super Friends, Super Friends, and Super Friends, the legendary superpowers show. They are from the planet Exor and were being informally trained by the DC superheroes. Basically, they appeared in cartoons and then they got folded into the comics continuity. They have appeared in other things over the years, including Smallville, The Thing I've Seen, Teen Titans Go, and The Flash. I don't think the Wonder Twins appeared in The Flash. Although their alien sidekick Gleek did sort of in an episode of Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was a reference they made and never picked up on. So it Mm. might as well not be there. There we go. They've cast it. I've seen some of Riverdale and he's pretty good. He's held back by a pretty ropey show, I suppose. But... Seems fine. The cast is good, I guess. He was also in the films Songbird, The Hate You Give, which is a film I've seen and don't remember. Mm. A Dog's Purpose, a film I've seen and also don't remember. (laughs) May, she is in the Yellowstone prequel series, 1883, which I haven't seen. And she's been in Young Sheldon. So there's casting Well, I mean, that's not a highlight of her career, (laughs) I am sure. Well, I mean, it's it's well known, so fair enough. She got paid, so good for her. I've seen them here and there, but not enough to super leave an impression. And I haven't seen Riverdale. I've watched the Fever Dream recap that is Super Eyepatch Wolf on YouTube did a, a very long video where he recaps, I think, seasons one to four of Riverdale. And I feel like I've seen enough. I've seen enough. Yeah. yeah, I think that's okay. <laughs> and I'm glad for the two of them. I know nothing about the Wonder Twins. So open to it. You'll know about the pressing the rings and saying Wonder Twin powers activate. That'll oh. be the thing you know. Or maybe you don't. That's brilliant. Okay, yeah. Mm. <laughs> How they'll do that in a serious context. Although if it's comedy, they might just lean into it. Yeah, I think they probably would. That would be the smart thing to do. Yeah. More DC spin-offy stuff. And this one will definitely get made. Sharon Stone and Susan Sarandon have both been cast in Blue Beetle, which is essentially... Not quite, but DC's Iron Man with an alien armour type thing. Mm. It's DC's first superhero movie starring a Latino character. And Sharon Stone will be playing Victoria Card, the villain. Because Sharon Stone is a villain, that's a stretch, of course. Put her in as that. And Susan Sarandon 
is going to be in it as well. Doesn't say who she's playing. It's an original one. Mm, intrigue and mystery. Yeah, so there we go. Those two casting things. Good chance this will happen then. It's set to be released next August, so they're probably going to put film in the camera pretty soon. Or a new memory mm. card, whichever way they do like to film it. Again, I'm keen for it. I'm going to watch all of this because I do. Any thoughts or? Not very much, no. Not very familiar with this. I like Susan Sarandon and Sharon Stone. I recently saw Sharon Stone in a Netflix thing. It's called Murderville and it's an improv show. But Will Arnett is a murder detective and every episode he gets a co-star who doesn't know what the plot is and has to okay. improvise yeah, their I way. I heard about that. Sharon Stone was in it and she was really good at improv. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, okay, here for short hair, older lady, here to step on you energy. So I'm cautiously excited about this just because the cast is top notch. So, sure, but in terms of familiarity with the source material or anything, I don't know anything, so it could go either way. Yeah, hopefully the film will give you enough to understand what they're going on about, which, yeah. considering Morbius isn't a given anymore, mm. or maybe it never was. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for the DC Universe, already covered the CW with Andrews. Let's move on to just general stuff. We have Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans cast in... Project Artemis with Ozark star, director and exec producer Jason Bateman on board to direct. Plot details are being kept tightly under wraps, but we hear the project is set against the space race. Screenplay comes from Rose Gilroy, daughter of writer-director Dan Gilroy and actress Renee Russo. And that's about it. That's all it says. So it might be about the space race, but it stars these two people that were in Marvel movies. Hmm. And yeah, based on the fact they're both in it, I'll watch it. Same. <laughs> Absolute same. Why not? And if it's about the space race, cool. They had pretty good chemistry, the two of them, in Winter Soldier and stuff, so I think that's a great match. Yeah. More casting for more sci-fi, with a bit more detail this time. Dean Devlin's new sci-fi series, as in sci-fi, S-Y-F-Y, the channel, The Ark, has found its core cast members as production gets underway. Christy Burke, Richard Fleischman, Reese Ritchie, Stacey Reed, and Ryan Adams will appear as series regulars in the show, which is now shooting in Serbia. The premise is the arc takes place 100 years in the future where planetary colonization missions have begun as a necessity to help secure the survival of the human race. The first of these is on a spacecraft known as Arc 1 encounters a catastrophic event causing massive destruction and loss of life with more than a year left to go before reaching their target planet a lack of life-sustaining supplies and loss of leadership the remaining crew must become the best versions of themselves to stay on course and survive and the actors burke is in made in the haunting of Bly manor playing sharon garnett a low-ranking officer garnett is not one to embrace the spotlight but she finds herself rising to the occasion when tragedy strikes fleishman was in Four Weddings and a Funeral, The Sandman, presumably the one that's not out yet, will play Lieutenant James Bryce, who oversees Arc 1's navigation systems. Richie, the outpost, Hercules, plays Spencer Lane, another low-ranking officer. Lane believes only the strong will survive and is resentful when his leadership skills are questioned. Reed will play Alicia Nevins. Nevins is described as a brilliant young woman on the waste management team who has been wildly underutilised. That's her television debut, apparently. Adams will be Angus Medford, an insecure young man, except when it comes to his speciality, horticulture and farming. 
It will also be his television debut. The arc was created by Dean Devlin, who serves as co-showrunner and executive producer, alongside Jonathan Glasner. Obviously, Glasner, maybe not obviously, Glasner and Devlin worked on Stargate and Stargate SG-1 and things, and Dean Devlin is normally Roland Emmerich's partner, although not recently. So premise-wise, this sounds interesting. It sounds a bit typical. You've got a group of plucky characters who have to rise to the occasion and survive. Yeah, it sounds pretty standard, but could be all right. Yeah, generation ship breaks down. People must save the piece of humanity that's preserved within. Otherwise, everybody dies. It's not the first time we've seen the concept, especially in sci-fi literature anyway. It's what you do with it. My takeaway is, because I'm half Serbian, I'm like, whoa, we're filming in Serbia? That's cool. (laughs) That's interesting. Serbia has been kind of doubling as other locations, presumably because it's cheaper to film there and probably has certain locations that are easier to find. Go watch this very mediocre movie where Caio Scodelario is in Florida, but it's Serbia, actually. <laughs> and there's alligators everywhere. Crawl. Yes, like it's filmed crawl. in Serbia. I just found that very funny. Serbia doubling for Florida because the climate is not similar at all <laughs> whatsoever. We don't have bayous or any such like. It's interesting that it's finding a place in the film industry as a shooting location. As far as the show's concerned, it sounds average. I guess I might check out the pilot, maybe. Yeah, this may be one of those things that will be, you know, this is all right to stick on once yeah. every couple of weeks. One of those don't really have to think too much about it. I can just watch all the pretty people get into bizarre situations. Yeah. Which is, again, why I watch the CW, largely. Although I haven't watched Riverdale. Which is definitely just about pretty people getting into situations. <laughs> Next up, we have some casting for Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Again, it's another... You saw some films about this? Let's do this again, but it's a TV show. That's maybe our theme of the month. <laughs> but they've cast Walter Scoble in the lead role... He recently did a good job of playing a young Ryan Reynolds in The Adam Project, which is a film that I talked about earlier. Will I watch this? Probably not. I haven't seen, not that it should be a prerequisite, but I haven't seen the previous attempt to do this. So I have no real interest in it. I remember the original films or the films that they made just looking really cheap and nasty. Yeah, they were not good. As a Greek person, I took offense at those movies, actually. They were not good. Capital N, capital G, not good. So this is a re-attempt. It's a potential chance for them to do better. I know that the author has wanted better adaptations. I know the fans definitely have. So this is a shot for them to get that done and have actors who are more the right age. So the books are aimed at pre-teen and early teen audience. They're middle grade books. Um, So seeing the protagonist grow up from the age of, say, 12 to wherever he ends up, because the books go on for a long while, it'll be cool to see that happen if they can keep it going that long and if it's good enough to keep it going that long. So let's see. I'm hoping that at least the fans and the author will be happy with the result. I personally don't have a massive investment, but my best friend does, so I'm rooting for her. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost the Shadowhunters approach, isn't it? Well, the film was a thing, so we'll just do a TV show instead that didn't really work as a film, so let's try it again. I don't know how popular they were. I'm aware of them, so that suggests there's Hmm. some level of popularity. And there was more than one of them, I think. There's at least two of them. The films, yes, there was two, and there was going to be a third one, but it didn't materialize. 
Fair play. Okay, moving on. We have another adaptation. This is of a comic book this time. Filmmaker Gerard McMurray, who made The First Purge, which is a film that I've seen and did not care for. But I don't really care for any film in that franchise, so it's not a slight on him necessarily. He will write and direct an adaptation of Black, the comic book that takes place in a universe in which only black people have superpowers. The comic debuted in 2016 with the original series following Kareem Jenkins, who discovered his powers after being shot by police. The series was followed by the graphic novel Black AF, America's Sweetheart, which centred on Eli Franklin, a young girl who becomes a superhero to bridge racial divides in America. The film adaptation will centre on a young man who discovers his powers after surviving a violent crime. So, similar but not exactly the same, I suppose. He soon finds himself in the middle of a war over the future of humanity in a world which a secret society seeks to control the empowered and their abilities. No subtlety there, really, (laughs) whatsoever, but... There's no need for it to be subtle, as far as I'm concerned. Sounds like a fun concept. Absolutely. I've not read the comics, but it sounds like it would make great TV. And it sounds like something that won't take a massive budget to do, which is kind of my favorite take. I love a big CG spectacle, but I think when you have budgetary restrictions, you end up working on a better story. And it sounds like the sort of thing that is, first of all, prescient and relevant to right now, but also, like you say, fun. So, yeah, very interesting. And also interesting that the filmmaker attached is originally an indie filmmaker, but friends with Ryan Coogler and classmates with Ryan Coogler. So at least you know that that there's a similar vibe going on potentially in their filmmaking. So let's see. Yeah, that school of overt social commentary, basically. Not just that, because when I say filmmaking, I mean more like in the technical aspect. Yeah, the the style. But in terms of the type of stories they want to tell, I suppose, Mm. because the first purge as well, that's about the working class, lower class in society being essentially population managed by letting them kill each other once a year, that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. So again, not subtle, but I think we're beyond subtlety at this point. It doesn't need to be subtle. We need to beat people over the head with a message so that they don't miss it, because people miss it these days, it seems. Hmm. Anyway, moving on, we have Nia DaCosta's next project. She's going to be directing an adaptation of Tanahasi Coates' novel The Water Dancer for MGM. Oprah Winfrey put that on her book club selection at one point. It was named one of the best books of the year by publications like Time Magazine, The Washington Post, Vanity Fair, etc., It follows young Hiram Walker, who was born into bondage. As a child, he loses his mother and over time loses all memory of her. Now a young man, Hiram almost drowns when he crashes a carriage into a river that is saved from the depths by a mysterious power he never realised he had and struggles to understand. Yeah, I think we talked about the water dancer when we talked about Tanahisa Coates the first time. I think he was taking over the Black Panther comics or he was writing the series. It's one of those books that I bought with the intention to read. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just sitting in my Kindle. But yeah, I'm excited to hear about an adaptation because why not? And also Candyman was supposed to be really good, right? I wasn't a huge fan of it. It just didn't leap out at me when I went Mm. to see it. People liked it though, just not me. I heard a lot of good things. It seemed a little too scary for me. So I get it. But maybe this one won't be scary. <laughs> I don't do very well with uh, jump scary type things. And the trailer alone of <laughs> Candyman, I was like, I'm <laughs> having palpitations. I think this one's a skip. Fair play. Okay, next up, back at Netflix again, 
Catherine Bigelow is to direct Aurora, based on David Cope's upcoming thriller novel. Ah, the modern trend of, let's adapt a book that isn't out yet. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a bit strange, but never mind. (laughs) It happens a lot with, you sell a book and then your agent will also try and sell the film rights at the same time. So, yeah, it's just good timing on all of that. (laughs) But strange for us who have not had a chance to read it. (laughs) This thing doesn't have an audience, but you're already adapting it. Yeah. You're not giving the book the chance to find an audience. And there'll be chunk of that audience that will think i'll just wait for the film i don't want to read Mm. but the film follows characters who are coping with the collapse of the social order set against a catastrophic worldwide power crisis oh i wonder why that is Mm. suddenly getting made sounds like fun (laughs) yeah somebody wrote a disaster book in the wake of uh looks at the last two years nervously. (laughs) The novel's blurb sets the story in Aurora, Illinois, where Aubrey Wheeler and her teenage son are forced to fend for themselves in the wake of a massive power outage. Wheeler's estranged brother, a Silicon Valley CEO, has built a bunker in the desert for such an apocalyptic event, and their reunion leads to reckonings on a global and personal scale. I mean, sure. Sounds interesting on paper, which it will be. Vaguely, I will say I'm right now of the, I can't really do a disaster movie or a disaster book. I'm just not in the headspace for that kind of thinking. Maybe we're through the worst of the pandemic, but it's not over. And so for me, I wish for more mirth and joy, or at least (laughs) if it's a disaster movie, let it be Moonfall that is ridiculous. That sort of thing I can take. But something that's a little more grounded is perhaps a little much for me right now. But we'll see maybe by the time that the film is made and released, if that changes. Yeah, don't let me think about the real world, please. Really? Really <laughs> yeah. no need for that right now. Escapism, remember that? <laughs> Rather mm-hmm. than, oh yeah, that's your life, but extrapolated. But not really, not exaggerated that heavily. This one might qualify as escapism, though. E1 are developing paranormal hitmen as a TV series based on comic books. It's billed as Ghostbusters meets Pulp Fiction. It's an irreverent action comedy, because is there any other kind? that follows Gene Rizzo and Devin Grace, two mob hitmen whose lives are turned upside down when they're accidentally recruited, accidentally recruited into a secret <laughs> government agency. How does that happen? Tasked with hunting down paranormal threats. These low-down criminals then face threats from the living and the dead, determined to control the world of the paranormal while literally confronting ghosts of their pasts. It sounds a bit like Supernatural in a way because it's two guys hunting down supernatural stuff. But with mobsters. (laughs) But with mobsters. (laughs) What if Sam and Dean were members of the mafia, huh? (laughs) I think they did that story. No, they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there's one episode where it's 40s themed. (laughs) That rings a bell. I think I've heard of these comic books, but I've not read them. I think, again, this is the sort of thing that sounds like it's going to be great TV. You want something that's fun. You want something that's a little bit just outside the norm. Do you expect mob hitmen to be hunting around paranormal threats? No, it sounds ludicrous. Great, (laughs) bring it on. That's kind of my reaction to that. Yeah, sounds all right. Could be good fun. Next up is The Crow reboot. They're giving that a go again. Every few years they say, well, we make The Crow, and then it just doesn't happen because people die on set when they make Crow films and stuff, but they're going to Give it another go. Bill Skarsgård is going to be in it, because why not? I think he's the right casting choice. Sure. It's directed by Rupert Sanders, who directed Snow White and the Huntsman and Ghost in the Shell. I've seen Ghost in the Shell. I thought it was all right. I haven't seen Snow White and the Huntsman. 
I have. The first one's okay, but I do take issue with this man because he's kind of garbage. He threw himself, or rather coerced, Kristen Stewart into a relationship. And when his marriage fell apart, he blamed her. She got fired. He made a sequel. I'm not here for this guy. So while Bill Skarsgård's perfect for The Crow, I think, just like those features are awesome and will look great in makeup and have looked great in makeup indeed with Pennywise and stuff, but stop giving Rupert Sanders work. 2K22? Well, tough. He's making this. Not much more to say on that, really. This one, though, Andy Serkis is going to direct an animated adaptation of Animal Farm. Something that hasn't had an adaptation in quite a long time, actually. Hmm. And again, it's one of those Orwellian nightmare type scenarios that we're essentially living in at the moment. But it's got animals doing political stuff rather than people. So maybe there is that separation there. I think there's been theatre adaptations of Animal Farm, at least in the UK, recently. But I think it'll be interesting to see a film. We've got all sorts of technology now that we can do that in a way that doesn't look ridiculous. So, yeah, all right. Yeah, and if anyone can bend technology to his will, it's Andy Serkis. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll see how that pans out. But yes, it's very of the moment, isn't it? Those sorts of Mm. themes and ideas that are in the novel. So yeah, it's easy to see why they're giving it a go now. Because people will look at it and think, oh, I recognise this. Yeah. And the book's a classic and part of a lot of school curriculums. So I, I think that the inbuilt audience for Animal Farm is huge. So it makes a lot of sense financially for them to be making that. All those class trips to watch it and so on. Over on somewhere else, there are not one but two Sherlock Holmes shows in the works at HBO Max related to the Robert Downey Jr. movies. The potential shows would be set in the world of 2009's Sherlock Holmes and 2011's Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, starring Robert Downey Jr. as the Master Detective and Jude Law as Dr. John Watson. It doesn't say what the shows will be, other than they're getting made and that Robert and Susan Downey will be involved in some way. Mm. It's interesting how this film that hasn't had a sequel in 11 years... (laughs) is getting two spin-offs. But they are making the third one at some point as well, pretty soon. I think those movies have had a longer life than we give them credit for. They're kind of cult favourites. Kind of. People still talk about them several years later, which is pretty impressive. I think a lot of people look at these as kind of like a a quintessential romp version of Sherlock Holmes, because obviously it came before the BBC adaptation, which is the definitive one for our generation somehow. (laughs) But those movies were lightweight and kind of ludicrous, but all right adaptations, I thought, and can make good TV potentially. Yeah, I think they're fine. I've seen each of them once and only Mm. once. I like Jared Harris's Moriarty. He was a good take on that character, I thought. Yes. Basically, yeah. I can remember. I think he's my favourite Moriarty, to be honest. I'm struggling to think of a better one. I don't like the Andrew Scott version from Sherlock. Neither do I, yes. <laughs> I like Andrew Scott, just not the take on Moriarty in that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree with you. I think for me, another successful Moriarty was in Elementary, where they gender-flipped Moriarty and was played by Natalie Dormer of later Game of Thrones fame. That was just an interesting take, and I think she did pretty well. I love that show a lot, actually. But I think it will be cool to see this Victorian London, but 
in the Guy Ritchie way of historical inaccuracy in the face of fun. Is it fun? Yes. Is it historically accurate? Probably no. But do we care? Not a little bit. So that's okay. Although in some ways, Robert Downey Jr.'s take on Sherlock Holmes was one of the more accurate ones. The Mm. eccentric drug addict and bare knuckle boxer and all those elements that didn't really creep into adaptations before then. Yeah. Because the deerstalker hat and long coat and so on caught on as an image that was stuck quite rigidly too for a long time in adaptations of Holmes. Yeah. So that was good. Again, I've only seen them once, but didn't dislike them at the time. I just have only seen them once. Maybe there are films that you should only see once. Mm. Who knows? But anyway, moving on. BBC Studios has optioned the Eve Stranger comic book series and is developing into a TV show. The comics tell the story of enigmatic Eve, an amnesiac for hire who has unlimited funds, a jet-set lifestyle and extraordinary abilities. Okay? Okay. Very vague. <laughs> Let's make that on a BBC budget that will be hiding the seams, probably, as all <laughs> BBC stuff does. Let's make this person look rich, but on not a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I think... BBC in particular have done really well with budget constraints, but in telling good stories of a supernatural kind of element. I think I'm mostly thinking of being human, to be honest with you, which is one of my favorite (laughs) shows of all time. It had, God, such a low budget. They had no money whatsoever. I think it was the last throws of BBC Three before it went digital. I have good, fond memories of... BBC trying to do sci-fi and fantasy type TV on no money at all. That being said, I've heard not so great things about The Watch, which is more recent, that's based on the Terry Pratchett books. So I don't know where to stand on this, knowing very little about this project at all. And I don't know very much about the comics, I'm afraid. Yeah, I know nothing about them. We'll see. One of the Being Humans execs is producing, so I'm here for anything that team has ever done and will ever do. (laughs) I will support them forever. So probably we'll check this out. Guaranteed one viewer then. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's one more than none. (laughs) Moving on to a studio with more money, Amazon. They have landed Anthony Mackie and Priyanka Chopra Jonas for action thriller Ending Things. A hit woman who wants out of the assassin's business tells her business partner, business is in inverted commas before partner, that she's ending their personal relationship as well. But she comes to realise that she doesn't want to end that part of their bond. In order to survive the breakup and their last job together, they must join forces for one last night out. (laughs) So a bit Mr and Mrs Smith. Kind of, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the kind of vibe I'm getting from it. It says it's got a True Lies-esque premise. They bought the spec script. So True Lies as well. Although Mm -hmm. True Lies is more about what Arnie's keeping from Jamie Lee Curtis for a lot of it. Mm. But Anthony Mackie, I like him. I don't know who she is. Priyanka Chopra? Yeah. She's pretty huge. She was a big Bollywood actress before making the jump over to Hollywood. For anybody listening, a great Netflix movie. (laughs) (laughs) It was only a Netflix project because of the pandemic and stuff, but she's pretty crucial to it. It's called White Tiger or The White Tiger. It's set in India and it's a manifesto against the Indian caste system and class and the way in which wealth can warp a person. She's one of the protagonists in that. It's a phenomenal film. This sounds like fun. It could work. I'm excited to see Anthony Mackie as an assassin. I think his squeaky clean Captain America image is etched in my brain. So it'll be cool to see him in a little grittier kind of look. Yeah, he's also going to be in the Twisted Metal movie based on a video game. So that's the thing that he's doing. And apparently she was in the Matrix Resurrections, which I don't remember her from. Although 
that film's not really worth remembering. I never got to see it. I will eventually, probably because I like The Matrix, but it just hasn't been my priority, and that probably says something. It was nobody's priority. It came out at Christmas, nobody saw it, and not very many people liked it. Mm. Back at Netflix again, Angela Bassett joins Netflix's Millie Bobby Brown fantasy feature Damsel. In the movie, from Oscar-nominated filmmaker Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, a princess is shocked to discover that she'll be sacrificed to the kingdom's sacred cave dragon. Really hate it when that happens. Mm. It really puts a downer in your day, doesn't it? <laughs> After being married to her Prince Charming, so she must survive long enough until someone comes to save her. Only no one is coming. So it's a riff on the damsel in distress. The damsel has to save herself from distress. Bassett will play Lady Bayford in Damsel, the stepmother to Millie Bobby Brown's Elodie. Yay, fantasy things. <laughs> I don't know that we have enough to go on with this, but Angela Bassett is great. So anything with the lady. Angela Bassett, sure. But I don't know that I have any feelings about this movie yet. Only that I'm glad it's not really based on anything. Whenever they make something that's original, I'm like, all right, cool. Somebody had an idea and they went with it. Let's do more of that, please. Hollywood. And after Enola Holmes, a thing I haven't seen, seems that Netflix are happy to work with Millie Bobby Brown and hmm. projects like this. Obviously, she was in Stranger Things, which is also a Netflix thing, but she's appearing in stuff. I wasn't keen on her really in the Godzilla versus Kong averse, but that's probably not her fault. It's the fact that those films are no good. Yeah, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Let's move on to everybody's favourite filmmaker, the divisive figure who's more divisive because of who likes him, Zack Snyder, with his take on Star Wars, Rebel Moon. Two more casting, Carrie Ellis and Corey Stoll, they join this. It's now in production. That happened since I found this article. Just as a reminder, Sophia Batella is leading the ensemble cast. There also has Charlie Hunnam, Dijmon Hounsou, if that's how you pronounce it, Duna Bay, Ray Fisher, Rupert Friend, and Stuart Martin. The story tells of a peaceful colony on the edge of the galaxy that's threatened by the armies of a tyrannical regent named Belisarius. Desperate, the colonists dispatch a young woman, played by Butella, with a mysterious past to seek out warriors from neighbouring planets to help them make a stand. Elves will play the king of the Galactic Empire. Details for the other actors were not revealed, but production will last until November, and Snyder is directing and co-wrote the script, and he said it's going to be the biggest sci-fi property since Star Wars. That's what he said. Yeah. Boy, oh, <laughs> Zach, my guy. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, he has to say that, right? <laughs> the thing is, I love a man with a vision. Yeah. <laughs> His issue is script writing, though. <laughs> he tends to waffle on for a very long time, not necessarily saying very much. Or not long enough. Or perhaps not long enough. Some might argue, I don't know. I'm here for an original sci-fi property, and the cast does look great. I think Mitchell or Michael Huseman was great in Game of Thrones. Alas, we lost him too soon when he got recast, or rather the other way around. He took over a role, and so we didn't get enough of him, is what I'm saying. And Alfonso Herrera is really good. Charlie Hunnam, you know how big of a Hunnam fan I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Duna Bay, Jimon Hunsu's great. What are you doing in this movie? <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Sophia Batella, I'm always a huge fan of. I love her and everything that I've seen her in. Oh yeah, she's a load of fun and she can do a lot physically, which is great as a dancer. Having that dancing background proved great for her in Kingsman, which kind of launched her career. I never got to see the Mummy movie. Oh, don't. 
Okay. It's horrible. I would for her, but I wouldn't for every other reason. <laughs> so I never got to see it. But anyway, I'm mildly interested in this. But also, I have my trepidation because <laughs> Snyder is a hit and miss kind of guy. And more often than not, for me personally, misses the mark narratively by just going a little too far <laughs> conceptually. So let's see, I guess. Just don't suck. <laughs> it will look stunning, though. You can guarantee that. I am yeah. sure it will, yes. You'll watch it and you'll think, wow, that was some impressive looking really mediocre stuff maybe but it could still be the biggest franchise in star wars he's thinking about it being a global phenomenon that has a million spin-offs and sequels and whatever i mean i love that for him maybe <laughs> he does have a built-in rabid fan base that will yeah. follow him to the ends of the earth so who knows we'll see how that goes speaking of divisive figures we have brie larson she's going to be in fast and furious 10 which is now just called fast x i think as it entered production. It doesn't say who she's playing, although it doesn't matter if they told us who she's playing, does it matter? Vin Diesel posted a, let's say, horrifying picture of the two of them. What is that grin? Click on the link in the show notes and behold, because it's mm -hmm. it's really quite something. He said, and I do love Vin Diesel's social media posting, as a YouTuber that we both like, Drew Gooden said, he is the king well, the social media, but King of Facebook, he called him, if you can remember that video that I've watched too many times. Not sure. <laughs> you don't, but never mind, I do. No, okay, that's fine. Finn Diesel's social media presence is, shall we say, unique. He's a very strange man, but he <laughs> said, yeah, 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 you see this angel over my shoulder, I'm not going to try a Vin Diesel impression because I can't do it. Cracking me up, you say to yourself, that's Captain Marvel. Clearly there is love and laughter in this image. What you don't see, however, is the character you'll be introduced to in Fast 10. You have no idea how timeless and amazing she will be in our mythology. Beyond her beauty, her intellect, her Oscar, haha, is this profound soul who will add something you might not have expected but yearned for. Welcome to the family, Brie, Diesel wrote on Instagram. <laughs> oh, family. <laughs> he said the magic word. I love it when he makes little oblique references to their success as if he's trying to appear aloof, but he's clearly quite jealous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Her Oscar. I don't have one of those. And never and will. And you never will. <laughs> yeah. Oh, buddy. <laughs> That's okay. Not everyone needs to have one. Mm. Although, for the record, I'm sure he wouldn't slap anyone on stage. So. <laughs> I mean, when the bar is that low, I think a lot of people would qualify. Yeah, yeah. And... Brie Larson's excited to join the Fast family. The picture is of her smiling, which a lot of people don't seem to think she's capable of. That's a little mean. Hey, that's not me. I know a lot of people hate her for some reason. I know, I know it's in the article, but that's mean though. So that's happening. I mean, I've seen the other ones now. I avoided them for a long time. So will I see the last two? Maybe. I don't like them though. I don't think they're very good movies. Yeah. It's funny. I have not seen most of them. <laughs> I have seen exactly one Fast and Furious movie, and that's Tokyo Drift, which <laughs> I'm told by a lot of people doesn't count. So <laughs> I guess I've seen like an echo of a Fast and Furious movie. And in particular, that one was still when it was about racing. So I have not seen any of the movies where it all just takes a wild ride and they go to space and stuff. <laughs> I have not seen any of those. And in essence, I think it's better that I haven't because when I read about them, I get such enjoyment from the baffled reviews. How is this franchise going buck wild? What's going on? I enjoy that immensely. It gives me great joy to read those. I might at some point make it a thing and do a marathon and just watch all of them. But 
it's interesting to see actors like Brie Larson or Charlize Theron, who was in the last one. She's been in a couple of them. Oh, yeah, right. I haven't seen them. What do I know? I just read about them. <laughs> just like a little snide schadenfreude from the shadows. It's just interesting, first of all, how successful they are. Second of all, how much fun they seem to be and how much they attract all these actors who have caliber oscar winning actors and they're just like yeah i want to be in a fast and furious movie <laughs> now granted the paycheck's probably sweet and huge and go get that bag brie here for you but also she doesn't necessarily have to be in a fast and furious movie but she's like yeah why not let's do it People think I have no fun, I'll do something fun. I respect that. Just go have fun. Do a silly thing every once in a while. For some reason I can't connect with the Fast and Furious movies, even though on paper I should, because they do a lot of things that sound like I would be into them. But then I actually watch them and I think, I'm not into this at all. And then there's all the weird rivalry surrounding it, The Rock and Vin Diesel's probably exaggerated rivalry that is just ridiculous at this point and <laughs> the stuff about it being in contracts that they can't lose fights and have to land an equal number of punches and kicks and things like that just oh, all this wow. weird minutia around the making of these films just all these professional tough guys that don't want to be seen to be weak on film i guess yeah even arnie lost a fight back in the day and it didn't make us think he was any weaker <laughs> do i want to see the rock get his ass kicked of course i do definitely he loses a fight in the second gi joe film by the way Ooh. I'm sure he has that stricken from people's memories. But yeah, he gets beaten up by Rafe Stevenson. And if you look at Rafe Stevenson versus The Rock, you wouldn't think that would be a match that would end that no, way. No, you would not. But never mind, that's the way it is. So that's happening. Jason Momoa, just a brief thing he had to say about the villain that he's playing in the film. He said, he's amazing, he's ordinary, he's misunderstood. That's it. Okay, I mean, here for a misunderstood villain. And for giant bear hug of a man, Jason Momoa, in anything. <laughs> and he does say he's looking forward to working with Charlize Theron. Because, of course... Of course, why wouldn't you? <laughs> let's stay on Jason Momoa, then, for our next item. He has been cast in the Minecraft movie. Oh, goody. <laughs> yeah, because that's a thing that they're making. We've talked about all sorts of weird video game movies that they're making, or board game movies that they're making. Play-Doh is a thing that they're making. We talked mm. about that last month. It doesn't really say anything about what the film will be about. I can't imagine what this will be about. Is it going to be like the Lego movie? That's an angle, I suppose, but they already did that. It was called the Lego movie. <laughs> so who knows minecraft's a game that doesn't have a plot so i suppose that gives them a really wide berth and free reign to do whatever so maybe but also it's a game i don't play so i have zero emotional investment in this news i've never played it either so okay maybe fine <laughs> i just look at the creations people have made on the internet and then read how many hours it took them and i think wow that is a lot of your life spent making a scale yeah. model of the USS Enterprise in Minecraft. Indeed, yes. Because <laughs> you got to mine every bit of material to build those things, so yes. Yeah, and then plan it out and whatever. It's like a big art attack. Angus put out that maybe it'll be like the Lego movie, but he's expecting it to be more like the Emoji movie. <laughs> a great anecdote. Yes, I think that's a great line and probably true. <laughs> <laughs> Staying on video game adaptations, Ghosts of Tsushima has a writer. And Chad Stahelski, who did John Wick's stuff, is directing that was announced a while ago. The writer is Takashi Dosher. Mm. And that's about it. They're making it. It's a game I haven't played, so I don't really know. I, I know a lot of people like it. Looking at it, I think that's going to take me like 80 hours to complete and I'm not for that. I don't have 80 hours to complete a video game. So... <laughs> certainly not one like this and i've sort of went off the open worldy 
objective driven stuff although apparently the art style is amazing and you can put a kurosawa filter over it and all this stuff you can do all that stuff so it's apparently very good and people like it so i'm fully expecting it to turn into a mediocre video game adaptation (laughs) i have heard very good things i sort of know someone who's in it one of the characters who shows up later and he really likes it but obviously he worked for it so he's kind of biased which is fair enough shout out to earl it's interesting i will agree i haven't had the time to complete long story-based video games like this also it kind of seems a little too difficult for me i'm a casual (laughs) gamer so if i can play this without a crazy skill level it just feels a little too elaborate that being said i'm open to playing it someday maybe question mark i've been waiting for it to come on the uh, PS Plus sale so I can check it out. So, yeah, at some point. And film-wise, it's an ambitious project, but there are locations where you could do a lot of practical stuff. So if this writer is capable and the story's good, I don't see... I was going to say, I don't see why this movie would fail. But at the same time, we all know the storied history of video game adaptations. So I suppose Pinch Assault... And potentially not holding our breath, but this could turn out okay, question mark. I don't know. Let's not not believe in them before they've (laughs) done anything. They just assigned the writer. Let's see. John Wick movies have cool action, so I'll at least have that, possibly. Hmm. Will I get more out of it than I would watching a Let's Play of someone playing the game that knows how to do it on YouTube? Good question. Next up, we have a returning cast for the Disney Plus National Treasure TV series. Unfortunately, not the actor that everybody would like to have come back. <sighs> Nicolas Cage is not reprising his role as Ben Gates, at least not so far in that show, but Justin Bartha is. The character of Riley, according to this article, is not something I remembered immediately, so sure. <laughs> Says he's best known for starring in the three Hangover films, but oh, he's right. not in most of them. <laughs> he's the so guy that glues in the first one. So he's in it a bit at the start, and then he turns up again at the end. And in the second one, he's off doing something else, and I don't remember the third one because it's so terrible. But he's been in other stuff. And he's fine in National Treasure. He's the IT sidekick guy. Your tech sidekick. One of those types. So mm. he's all right. So yeah. I'm all right for this show. I don't really have a lot of emotional investment in the National Treasure series. I like the movies. They're fine, yes. I feel like they've had a renaissance on the internet as culturally iconic but I can't say that this news leaves me in any sort of emotional state. So that's okay. Good for them. <laughs> There'll be a scene where he walks in and he's like, hey, I was just speaking to Ben and he says hi. Don't reference the guy that we'll never see. Maybe they'll get him in for a cameo in the final episode as a post credit thing or something. I don't know. But he's in them yet. They're forging ahead with that thing. So that's happening. Another TV adaptation of a thing that was a film. There's a TED series going to be at Peacock. and Oh, boy. Yeah, they've set their main cast along with showrunners. Thankfully, the main cast isn't populated with Mark Wahlberg. So that's <laughs> an advantage. Seth MacFarlane will, of course, be reprising the role of Ted. Georgia Wiggum, Max Burkholder, and frequent MacFarlane collaborator Scott Grimes have also been cast in the show. Furthermore, Modern Family executive producers Paul Corrigan and Brad Walsh have joined the series to serve as co-showrunners. I tried to watch Modern Family and did not like it. No, I see. But in the series, it's 1993 and Ted the Bear's moment of fame has passed, leaving him living with his best friend, 16-year-old John Bennett, who lives in a working-class Boston home with his parents and cousin. Ted may not be the best influence on John, but when it comes right down to it, Ted's willing to go out on a limb to help his friend and family. I presume the young kid, who I guess is based on the order of the pictures, 
Max Burkholder is going to be a young Mark Wahlberg. Okay. I never watched the Ted movies. I don't like Seth MacFarlane. I will not see this, but that's okay. okay. Happy for whoever's into this. It's not me. I like the Ted movies. They're fine. Hmm. If you like the Family Guy humour, as in Family Guy, when I would say it was good humour, then it's just that. Hmm. Yeah, they're okay. Mark Wahlberg's tolerable, actually, in that (laughs) role. Mila Kunis is in the first one, weirdly not in the second one. But you get Amanda Seyfried taking her place as the love interest. She plays a character called Sam Jackson. And boy, did they get mileage out of that joke. <laughs> Including the line, have you seen any movie ever? He's the black guy. So that's dead. <laughs> I see. <laughs> but yes, I was right. All I had to do was scroll down. Burke Holder will play the role of John Bennett. He's a good guy and likable teen who is, however, still in his awkward face. With Ted's help, John is doing his best to navigate adolescence. I can already see what the jokes will be. Yeah. And I'm disgusted already. I don't want to <laughs> see that. <laughs> Wiggum, who was in The Punisher, 13 Reasons Why, will be Blair Bennett, a smart and politically correct college student. Yep, I can see the jokes already. Who's living with her uncle Matty, Aunt Susan and younger cousin John. She's not afraid to be outspoken and frequently crashes with a more traditionalist family. Grimes, who's going to be an Oppenheimer and the Orville, will play Matty Bennett. Matty is a blustering blue-collar Bostonian who thinks he is the unequivocal boss in the family and doesn't like anyone challenging him, particularly his liberal-minded niece Blair. All the jokes. Oh, God. I already hate this. (laughs) So, no thank you. I'm noping out. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Okay, up next, once director John Carney, a director whose three films I absolutely love, Mm -hmm. is going to be directing the Bee Gees biopic for Paramount. John Logan will pen the script. John Logan, a favourite of yours, of course, as we've discussed on a few occasions. That's basically it. They're going to do a Bee Gees biopic and he's going to direct it. Okay. I mean, he loves music so much, right? So, yes. I'm disappointed that he's doing this rather than just something he's coming up with himself, though, Mm. like he has before. I know a lot of people say that about indie directors when they end up on a franchise movie, close out on Eternals and things, like, why is she doing this? Can she not be Mm. doing her own thing? And I understand that criticism, and I would rather see John Carney's brutally moving music Yeah, bring us more musical John Carney movies, please, yes. That being said, though, give the man a chance to direct something else. Directors don't just make one kind of film forever. I mean, if you're in a tour and that's what you want to do, that's fine. But having that freedom can also be good. And as I have waxed lyrical on this podcast before, John Logan's a fantastic writer. He comes from the world of theatre, and so his writing's always full of subtext and character. And it'll be really interesting to see what he does with a biopic. Now, I don't know anything about the Bee Gees other than staying alive, I guess. (laughs) So this will be entirely new to me. I love both of these creators so much that maybe I'll like the Bee Gees. Like, who knows? I don't know, but I'm here for it. And it is musical related, so of course. Carney's still on brand. Definitely, it's his wheelhouse. And it's good that they're not just getting Dexter Fletcher or Baz Luhrmann to make all the music biopics. They're branching out. They're letting someone else have a go. Oh, sure. I mean, a Baz Luhrmann film in particular would be very... He is an auteur, for better or worse, and his movies have a very distinct aesthetic, as does the trailer for the Elvis movie, for example. I think Carney tends to be very grounded in his movies, even if they are musicals and people break into song, sort of, because they're all movies about making music, at least the three he's very well known for. So let's see what the uh, approach will be, because we may get a soft and introspective and character-filled biopic. Wouldn't that be nice? I think that sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. I have faith in the guy, so let's see what he does. Next up, back at HBO Max, we have... 
casting for a show I've never heard of called Dead Boy Detectives. George Rexdrew, Jaden Reverie, and Cassius Nelson will star in the three lead roles. Based on DC Comics characters were created by Neil Gaiman, the one-hour series would follow the Dead Boy Detectives, Charles Rowland and Edwin Payne, who decided not to enter the afterlife in order to stay on Earth and investigate crimes involving the supernatural. They are joined by Crystal Palace, a living psychic medium. The cast also includes Alexander Calvert, who was in Supernatural, as Thomas the Cat King, Rihanna Kyoko as Jenny, described as a mildly punk butcher and a confidant of Crystal Palace, Jen Lyon as Esther, described as a witch obsessed with youth and immortality, Yuyu Kitamara as Nico, the boarding school student intent on joining the Dead Boy Detectives Agency who now lives above Jenny's butcher shop, and Ruth Connell, way, spoken to her on this podcast. We are both from Falkirk. Shout out to Ruth Connell, who will play Night Nurse, a demon that controls the flow of souls in the afterlife. Connell previously played that same character in Doom Patrol. (laughs) Oh, well, that's cool. That's kind of like a nice continuity bit. That's nice. Yeah, sounds quite fun. The Supernatural cast, or the cast that have been in Supernatural, probably looked at that and thought, it's pretty similar to what I've done before. I'll give that a go. In the case of Ruth Connell, it's yeah, pretty much exactly what I've done before, so let's give it a go. So I'm all for that. My approach to the Neil Gaiman stuff is some of his stuff I like and some of it I don't. So yeah. we'll see where that lands on the spectrum. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I haven't loved everything that he's done. I was listening to the audiobook version of The Sandman, which stars James McAvoy and Kat Dennings and stuff. Looking forward to the series, although I will say, while it was iconic at the time that those comics came out, at this point I'm a little less enthused about the kind of edgelord version of these characters. Now that is tropey. And Gaiman has this tendency to just kind of, his version of dark things leaves a very particular taste in my mouth that I don't always like. I will say. So, The Ocean at the End of the Lane is a great book. American Gods, the show, is fine. It tanks, though. (laughs) (laughs) It's not fine throughout. So, yeah, so I don't know. I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll find out. Yes. This one sounds interesting. Millie Brady and Pollyanna McIntosh, starring in Irish horror thriller Double Blind for Epic Pictures. The project is written by Derek McGarrigal and marks a featured directorial debut for Ian Hunt Duffy. It follows seven strangers taking part in a paid drug trial who become trapped in the lab after the side effects of the study escalate the situation to a nightmarish scenario. If they fall asleep, they die. Brennick O'Connor, Abby Fitz, Shona Marie, Dharamid Noyes, Frank Blake and... Akshay Kumar round out the cast. All right. Sounds pretty fun. Irish horror movies have been having a moment in the last few years. There was one that was in cinemas, I think around Halloween, that a lot of people were talking about, and the title escapes me, but it was very Irish, and that was kind of like the focal point and the the selling point, and apparently it was fantastic. And ah, what was the title? I will have to look it up. But yeah, this sounds pretty cool. And I'm always here for something that's unique and offers a different perspective, especially in horror. It just lends a different atmosphere and just something that you can find new and interesting rather than your typical American-centric narratives. Like, oh, here's these teenagers out in the remote town of whatever. It's fine. But if it's immersed in any other kind of culture, I don't know. It's fresh. It's new. It's not the typical stuff. So, yeah, all right. Good job, Ireland, is all I'll say. <laughs> and Pollyanna McIntosh, she's good. I've seen her in a few things. 
Keep moving on, I had to quickly scroll past the picture because it terrifies me, but a prequel to it is in development at HBO Max. The series, currently called Welcome to Derry, will begin in the 60s and the time leading up to the events of It Part 1. And that's about it. Andy Machete is attached to executive produce, and that's it. There's going to be a prequel. I haven't seen it because I am terrified of clowns, so I haven't seen it. Hard same. It's one of those franchises that made an absolute huge splash. Everybody was like, oh my god, this is great. So much better than blah blah blah. I'm like, I'm so happy for you, but I will never, I am not inclined. Happy for those who are into clowns, let's just say. (laughs) Whoever you may be, you weirdos. I'm sure that this is great news for some people. (laughs) Although it might just be about some guy with a gun who will eventually become a clown. Is that too jokery? I feel like you've seen (laughs) We've seen that movie. Well, it doesn't have to be a clown, though. It's just something that people are afraid of, Mm. which happens to be a clown because they're terrifying. Anyway, moving on. Orphan Black is getting a spin-off called Echoes. The spin-off is set in the near future and takes a deep dive into the exploration of the scientific manipulation of human existence. It follows a group of women as they weave their way into each other's lives and embark on a thrilling journey, unraveling the mystery of their identity and covering a wrenching story of love and betrayal. Ten episodes have been ordered. Anna Fishko will serve as the showrunner and exec producer with John Fawcett, who created the original series, co-created the original series and directed it. So yeah. They're doing this. I haven't seen Orphan Black. I have always meant to. I just haven't. Kind of same. I think when it was peaking and everybody was watching Orphan Black, I was kind of like, Orphan who? (laughs) And it just kind of missed me. Somehow it completely missed it. So I don't know what the spinoff will follow. Whenever there's a spinoff, I felt the same way about Better Call Saul because I had never seen Breaking Bad. Just like, oh, you should watch this show. And it's like, well, why should I care about these people? if I haven't seen this other show. So that's how I feel about this. Now, the solution was I watched all of Breaking Bad (laughs) and then I watched all of Better Call Saul and so now I care. So at some point, perhaps an orphan black marathon will be in order because it does sound up my street. Cool. Okay. Uh, We'll watch it one day, but for now, the spinoff doesn't capture me for basically the reasons you've said. I don't know why Mm. I should care, but I will watch it at some point. And of course, the star of Orphan Black is our She-Hulk. So we'll see her again soon anyway, and that, whenever that appears. This year? Next year? Who knows? No one knows. Hmm. Except maybe Disney and Marvel. They might know. But they're not going to tell us. They're just too busy paying us to hate DC. Or paying you anyway. Not paying me a penny to hate Hmm. anybody. Our next story is Honey Boy director Alma Harrell to helm adaptation of Mockingbird for Searchlight. Before I read the rest of the article, I can't help but think she must be a Kryptonian because of the way her surname is written. (laughs) It's exactly how Kal-El is written. Also the name of my Wi-Fi network, because I'm a nerd. (laughs) She is set to direct her passion project, the feature adaptation of Walter Tevis' seminal science fiction novel Mockingbird. The novel was nominated for the prestigious Nebula Award, paints a perilous future of a declining human population fueled by drugs and electronic bliss. A world without art, children, or books where humanity's future hinges on a love triangle between an android, a man, and a woman. Okay. I don't know what to make of it based on that description. Yeah, I've not read this, but I do trust the Nebula nomination because the Nebula Awards are the awards from the Science Fiction Writers Association, formerly Science Fiction Writers of America. So the people who nominate that are 
other writers. I tend to look at the nebulas as a fellow writer myself. Okay, other writers seem to think that this is good. It's worthy of at least checking out. So, cool. I don't know how I feel about another dystopia. (laughs) (laughs) But because it is more science fiction-y, the concept is higher than your regular disaster dystopia. Potentially, I think I'll check out sooner rather than later. Dystopia plus love triangle are two things that I'm not fond of. (laughs) Yeah, But it's a seminal novel, so cool. We'll see how that pans out. And it's a passion project for many, so fine. We are approaching the end of our list now. Scott Bakula and Bella Thorne are among the final cast of Divinity, Cypress Hill's DJ Muggs to serve as musical composer, whoever that is. It's a collaboration between Steven Soderbergh and Eddie Alcazar. Okay. Previously announced actors leading the project include Stephen Dorff, Jason Janeo, Moises Arias... Kariuchi Tran and Mike O'Hearn. Divinity follows otherworldly brothers who are hellbent on stopping a mogul who is close to unravelling the secrets behind immortality. The film includes elements of Alcazar's metascope technique, which combines stop-motion animation and live-action sequences. The technique was featured in his short film The Vandal, a collaboration with Darren Aronofsky, which premiered at Cannes in 2021. Divinity is targeting completion ahead of the film festival circuit. Presumably this year? That's soon, isn't it? Film festival circuit? Kind of, yeah. Depends if they're thinking more Hollywoody film festival. I think they have until October. That's soon. They should really be submitting that stuff right now. So, interesting. I do like Soderbergh, mostly. His takes on mental illness, not so much, but most of his films I have really, really vibed with. So, conceptually, this sounds very interesting. I interviewed Bella Thorne once. She is a character. (laughs) (laughs) She well and truly is a character and her YouTube antics in the last few years, my goodness. Only fans, that's what she became known for recently, wasn't it? Yeah, just getting involved with Tana Mojo, who's a YouTuber of very questionable anything. So, yeah, interesting career shifts and pivots. (laughs) Let's see how she does, I suppose. Not much more to add, I think, other than we will see, and I have questions. <laughs> Stylistically, sounds mildly mm. interesting at the very least. And I like Scott Bakula as well. Yeah. Our last item, we reported on this last month, maybe the month before, I don't remember, but there was a bidding war between several major studios over the rights to live-action Voltron with Red Notice director, a film that I'm told is awful, Ross and Marshall Thurber to direct. It's based on a Japanese sci-fi series that became the 80s syndicated show Voltron, Defender of the Universe, about a group of pilots whose vehicles join together to form a giant robot. That's about it. It's not something I had any connection to growing up. It's not something I watched. I think it was just before my time. So I didn't really watch it. Did you ever see the uh, recent animation? There was a recent animation series. That was a Western animation. I have not either, but my best friend is a super fan. And so by proxy, I know way more about Voltron than I expected. So this is kind of interesting. Uh, what I will say is make sheath canon, you cowards. Whatever that means, yes, do that. There's some gay things. There's one canonically gay character in the recent animation series and another character with whom he has a lot of chemistry and tension. They almost made a, th- a thing. They did not in a very blatant queer-baiting episode of epic proportions. Embarrassing. Just embarrassing. So make sheath canon. Please and thank you for the gays everywhere. And also, it makes things more interesting. Come on. What are you doing? Amazon are the front runners apparently. I don't think they have it yet, but they are 
probably going to get it because they're Amazon and they'll just keep throwing money until they get it. So yeah. it's, it's about waiting for the deal to close. On the surface, I understand that it's something that people like in the same way that I understand that people like Transformers and other things that I didn't grow up watching. So cool. I'm usually here for giant robots. Yeah, fair Pacific enough. Rim, for example. Yeah. Pacific Rim is more of a Power Rangers thing because you just had young people or people piloting the things, which is happening here as well. But Pacific Rim is more like Power Rangers than Voltron, I think. Probably a mix of the two, I guess. Yeah. But anyway, that's getting made. It's one of the few properties left that hasn't been turned into something. So they're going to turn it into a live action something. That's mm-hmm. what's happening. Interesting to hear your take on the queer baiting aspects of the. Was that the recent series? Or was, was that the older yes. series as well? No, the recent series. I'm not very familiar with the Japanese version, actually. But the recent series, yeah. And as someone who hasn't seen the show, I can't speak very much from a personal perspective. But because my best friend is a massive sheath shipper, Keith and... Oh, what's the other... Say the character's name. I forget his name. Something with an S, I guess. <laughs> so sorry, Voltron fans. I'm so sorry. Anyway, all I know is it should have been gay and it wasn't. And I'm always here for things being gay. Therefore... <laughs> <laughs> I am with that camp firmly, no matter what. The thing is, giant robot movies and stuff tend to do very well in China, which is notoriously an anti-gay space. So I'm not holding my breath for the gays in this uh, (laughs) adaptation. We'll see. There'll be one line they can easily cut. Perhaps, but my main take is that. So we'll see where that goes. Okay, we did it. We made it to the end of our list. And I'm not even going to check to see if we've been scooped by something that has just been revealed as we've been talking. Because it always happens. We'll get it next month. (laughs) If we didn't talk about that thing that appeared between the 25th of April and 1st of May, we'll get it next month, rest assured. So, Kat, thank you very much for joining for another news roundup. It was your turn and you filled your spot very well. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me as always. My pleasure. Oh, and before we go, I have just Googled the Irish horror movie that I was talking about, and I believe it was Boys from County Hell, in which a crew of hardy road workers, led by a bickering father and son, must survive the night when they accidentally awaken an ancient Irish vampire. And that was from last year, I think, or a couple years ago. So maybe check that out. Yeah, okay. I'm sure it's one of Andrew's favorite films. (laughs) He loves his horror, so ask him. (laughs) <laughs> he's not here he was here earlier so we don't know but yeah he's gone so that was our April news roundup if you enjoyed what you heard then please do subscribe on Spotify Apple Podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts whatever you're listening to this on if you're on your feed please do just hit subscribe as always if you're on Apple Podcasts we'd love it if you gave us a rating and a comment but Kat I'll ask you what rating would we like five stars all the way baby yeah that's the way please and thank you mash that five stars button but only once because if you hit it twice it'll It'll cancel it out so yeah Yeah. so press it three times (laughs) then and that'll give us more of it i would also like to thank neil stenson for the supplied music it always sounds great very grateful for him letting us use his stuff check out his youtube channel and if you want to talk about anything we discussed here or anything really just hit us up on facebook or twitter under neil before blog or leave us a comment on newbeforeblog.co.uk under the accompanying article and as always we hope you'll join us next time on real before pod Mm -hmm.